This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Happy Tuesday morning to you, and I hope uh, things are going well for you. Boy, uh, we're back. We had a day off yesterday because of Pioneer Day here in the state of Utah. And by golly, we took it. But uh, we're excited to be with you today. Got a lot to get into, a lot to talk about, including health care. Today, there will be a vote on whether they should vote, a pre-vote to the vote. It's such an important vote uh, because they've struggled getting the health care vote to repeal and replace done. Now they're going to have a pre-vote. And it's so important they're bringing John McCain out of his his uh, healthy trying to what's it called uh, recuperate from surgery. Yeah, has he had the surgery? He's had one surgery. That's for the blood clot. Yeah. Now they're dealing with the tumor. So they haven't replaced the health care plan, but they've replaced a lot of people in their cabinet. Yeah. In fact, they had spicy, no problem doing that. Spicer gone. I guess he's not a cabinet member, but Spicer's gone. That's kind of sad. Now what are we going to talk about? Hmm. Scaramucci. Is that his name? Yes. That's going to be fun. He seemed very upbeat and happy and super happy. Sounds like an opera singer's name. It does it? Scaramucci. Oh, yeah. Great. Like Pavarotti. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's quite as the world turns. It's a big soap opera there at the White House. Spicy out, Scaramucci in. And the reports were they talked to several people that are communication professionals, PR-type people who yeah. have ran big campaigns or worked in con- with congressional leaders and you know people that would have the experience. They didn't want to be involved. So they hired yeah. a head fund manager. Well, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. If you need a communications director, you go to the hedge funds. I mean, those people. But he was successful. They, he sold his hedge fund, hundred very, million bucks. He's been very pro-Trump in the world and eh, in, in not the on media. Twitter. Well, he had a bad, <laughs> he had a bad moment. He's been deleting a lot of past tweets over the last several years that he has you know gone through. Who and, hasn't? Right. Who hasn't? You know, hedges. Hedge. We don't need no stinking hedges. I, I don't think that's the hedge they're talking. Like I don't. Oh, okay. I think. Um, one of the things, too, is he's down on – President Trump is down on Jeff Sessions. Yes. So now there's talk of, you know, Rudy. maybe Rudy coming back. Rudy, maybe, maybe Ted Cruz. Yeah. Who would work See, for now, the president because he seems to beat up the people that he struggles with? Chris pro- Christie is available. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, Chris Christie tried to let President Trump use his phone on election night. That's just, It's too many, too many germs. So he's out. That's really the, the yeah. story. Is that that's why Chris Christie fell out of favor, um, but with uh, with Rudy Rudy Giuliani is heading up the the cybersecurity effort of the federal government. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. He's, he's trying to to, to fortify yeah. all of our government's computer systems. Well, because when you go when you when you think of cybersecurity, you think of Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you do, and. Jeff Sessions is getting beat up because he recused himself from the Russian investigation because he had had a handshake with a Russian diplomat slash spy. Well, that and the person being investigated is someone you had publicly supported right. in a political manner. So you're you're kind of 
on his side. So you may want to recuse yourself when it comes to legal issues. But then Giuliani apparently on CNN said Sessions was right to recuse himself. Right. So you, you got to, you know, you're not going to bring in Giuliani to fix this problem. There's people need the president needs to understand people need to recuse themselves. One says who? <laughs> Do they, though? Apparently not. Anyway, it's it's a soap opera. The soap opera continues. We'll get to all of that exciting news. Plus, we're going to be talking about health care. What really needs to take place when fixing health care is more than repeal and replace some legislation created by our great legislators. Um, the health care system itself probably needs to be re- reevaluated. It seems like we tend to be really good at diagnosing people. Uh, but not anything well, – not really great as, as preventing anything. Can they put something in there about not having to wait in the waiting room for 45 minutes? Yeah. Or should we probably ought to put something in there about not having your baby in the lobby of a hospital or in the doors, the, the electric doors in the waiting room? The, what's it called? The, the Yeah, the, the lobby of the hospital. I think it should say in there, if you have your baby in the lobby, uh, half off your bill. That's a great idea. I don't know who would have their baby in the lobby. You know, it just seems like you're cutting it very close. Jeff, any word on that? Any thoughts on that? <laughs> that was, you know, that's definitely the way we wanted to do it, Matt. Yeah, you wanted to. Yeah. If you could, you wanted to keep the excitement up. Yeah. If we could do it all over again, we would definitely want to have that baby in the lobby. <laughs> lobby babies are amazing. Anywho, uh, we'll continue that discussion, of course, plus um, other other fun news and headlines, empty news as well, the things that you didn't even know you needed to know. We'll get to those as well. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? A tenth person found in the back of a sweltering tractor trailer in Texas on Sunday has died after being taken to the hospital in San, uh, San Antonio. Eight male immigrants were found dead in the trailer when officials arrived and a ninth person died at the hospital later that day. People said that the uh, victims are believed to have died as a result of heat exposure or asphyxiation. Nearly 20 other people found in the trailer were taken to the hospital in critical condition. Officials are investigating the tragedy as a human trafficking case. The driver said he didn't know the people were in the back of the truck. He has been uh, charged with uh, trafficking. And, have you know, uh. he could he could face um, the death penalty over being yeah. involved. Wow. It's very, very serious. But apparently this happens quite a bit. There were how many in the car, in the truck? 30? They're saying around, the number keeps moving, the stories I keep seeing. This one says nearly 20 other people were found in the trailer, uh. were taken to the hospital. He had, he had eight people dead, a ninth has died, and a tenth has died. And there were all these other people that ran out when they opened the truck. Oh, trailer. Bet, yeah. you know? And it was just, there's like one hole in the truck that they were rotating through to breathe fresh air and all kinds of just horrible Holy details. Cow. And they're just in this parking lot at a Walmart. Tragic. Tragic. And this is why, uh, and so apparently this happens quite a bit. They find the trucks, people are in them, and just, they send them back, right? And so you don't hear about it until something horrible happens and makes the news. Some employees of a Wisconsin vending machine company will be able to purchase food with the wave of a hand. Three Square Market announced over the weekend that it it will offer implants their uh, radio frequency ID microchips into the hands of willing employees. Ooh. The chips are as small as a grain of rice and would essentially replace key cards, credit cards, and phone apps. Implanted between the thumb and forefinger, the microchip will be able to unlock doors, pay for break room snacks, serve as a business card, and store medical information. Mm. The, mar- the uh, company expects at least 50 employees to voluntarily undergo the $300 procedure. 
for which the company will pick up the tab. The implants will begin as soon as August 1st. The company is claiming to be the first in the U.S. to implant these chips into employees. What That's do you think, Matt? just creepy. That's creepy. I don't care who you are. That's creepy. Yeah. Hey, I mean, imagine that you're at your new higher orientation and they'll say, we'll be doing plant implement implanting next week. Like that, I mean, that this chip thing is crazy. You're to get, not implanting. To get in our building, we have a, a swipe card, right? Yeah. You swipe the card, that opens the door. Now they want you to take your hand, put it on a pad, and it, it'll read the chip that's I know, in your that's hand. That's weird. A but, chip but, but think about in your hand. When you get fired, the separation process, as they call it, will also involve minor surgery to get that out of your hand because it's I company quit. property. Well, not till we get your chip out there. <laughs> when Larry. we get the knife, we'll cut it out. Uh, what's this? What's happening to us? I don't know. Now I'm hungry. Yeah, well, I think we're talking different chips, Jeff. Hmm. Other news: Google's parent company Alphabet beat expectations for its second quarter, earning the top and bottom lines reporting revenue of twenty-six billion dollars the last quarter, up twenty-one percent year over year, and above the twenty-five billion expected. But investors who bid the stock up nearly thirty percent this year wanted more out of the company, and so the shares slid after the announcement. So your mm. company announced twenty-six billion in the quarter, but your stock falls. Yeah. That seems weird. Because the people that invested in you were expecting a little bit more out of you. But the, how many companies are there that have no money made? Yeah. But they're booming. They're not. Like Snapchat? Like Snapchat. Not anymore. Snapchat was. Now they're yeah. falling off the, the planet. Twitter. There. Yeah. Yeah. Alphabet stock fell about 3% in after hour tradings on Monday. So. Wow. That's the uh, problem with the stock market. Did you say Alphabet stock? That's the parent company of Google. Uh, other news, it was supposed to be the event of the summer. That's yeah. That's when Michael Phelps was going to race a great white shark. Oh, yeah. Remember that story? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. supposed to happen over the weekend? Yeah. Don't tell me he ate him. No. The problem was they, fans had high hopes for this because they're like, wow, he's going to race the shark. But they didn't realize the fine print, however, that the uh, New York Post documents uh, the disappointment in realizing the 32-year-old Olympic athlete is part of the Phelps versus shark Great Gold versus Great White special on the mm. Discovery Channel was pitted against a computer simulated version of the Superfish, whose swim rates have been calculated during previous in water races. Hold it. So you're not dropping Phelps in next to an actual shark. It's Phelps Boo. against a computer. Did people really think that he would be just in the water with a shark? Apparently, yeah. it says, wow. why wouldn't you? Disappointed, let down, even biggest scam of 2017 were just a few of the pejoratives hurled on social media after viewers realized that Phelps wouldn't be appearing side by side with the finned foe, as the story says. More <laughs> like Shark Week, W-E-A-K. Yeah. Complained one fan on Twitter riffing on the Discovery Channel's popular event. Uh, with a time of 18 seconds... 18.7 in the 50-meter preliminary, Phelps outfitted in a special wetsuit and a monofin. Yeah. Apparently, he had a fin of some kind. Lost to a hammerhead who had a 15.1 in the 50-meter. Uh. But he won, uh. technically, over a reef shark. Oh, yeah. Reef sharks are slow and pokey. Phelps, Lazy. Phelps Lazy. lost the 100-meter competition, one of the, the, his world record specialties against the Great White. 38 seconds to uh, Phelps' is 36 the shark went 36, Phelps went 38. That was according to TMZ, just so you know. Wow. I mean, if you're going to say he's going to race the shark, then he needs to get in the pool with the shark. Right. You can't do this You can't do this via technology. And you need to put a few drops of blood in there. That's before, right. You so. need to coat his... I mean, you want to see Phelps race his best time. 
coat him in blood, <laughs> throw him in, throw him in a pool with a shark. And hey, you can even have the pool be chlorinated. That might that's a disadvantage to the shark. Right, they're not used to chlorinated. Throws them off. They'll just suffocate. Yeah, but you know what? That a suffocating shark would still go after Phelps. It'd probably mm. be the best numbers you'd ever see. Plus, great ratings. Yeah, it would be like a debate with Donald Trump. <laughs> just throw Hillary in there, but less blood. Yeah, but you remember how Trump kind of stalked Hillary? Do do yeah, do do. Like float around behind kind of her, always standing yeah, yeah. behind her, looming. Mm. Um, yeah. So, boy, I tell you, yeah, that's so, called the bait and switch right there. Absolutely. So Shark Week was, in fact, weak, apparently. Weak, W-E-A-K. Weak! Speaking of weak, um, be careful. I, I tell you guys this t- all the time. Be careful when you're quoting people like Albert Einstein. Mm. Because I don't know if you heard about Ivanka had an attempt to quote Albert Einstein and it backfired. Oh. Wrong. I mean, it's hard. Albert's a smart guy, and he's got a lot of great quotes. But um, a a tweet fired off in 2013 by Ivanka, apparently the White House advisor and daughter of President Trump, came back to haunt her Monday. She attempted to quote theoretical physicist Albert Einstein. This was her quote. If the facts don't fit the theory, change the facts. Albert Einstein. Hmm. The problem is that's that's not – how the quote actually goes wrong because if the facts don't change the theory change the facts that doesn't make sense no well you'd probably need to change, change the theory change the theory oh okay. yeah um anyway so it got her into a lot of trouble now the general thought of politicians yeah across the board all politicians that would fit yeah that's that's what people kind of have the stereotype they sort of feel that way when they talked about politics They're, alternative facts <laughs> yeah you just change the facts. It'll be fine. They're, they're actually they're, – they're coming out now. Um, a lot of people are coming out in defense of Einstein saying he never said anything like that. Yeah, a lot of things get attributed and uh, they never actually said that. You know. The, uh, it was George down the street. It was George. Yeah. That's Th- the problem. Does it say who actually said that? No. It's just something online. It, just, that... it wasn't Einstein. Right. It was – I think it was in – Donald's book. Oh. The Art of the Deal? The Art of the Deal. Oh. But now you're embarrassed, right? But now people are reading your Twitter from 13 years ago or from three years ago, four years ago. Well, you can't backtrack. Not in the Trump family. At what point does Twitter, like, not count anymore when it comes to your... No, it always counts. Really? Yeah. By the way, there's other quotes attributed to Einstein that have been... um, on the same, just on, in the same kind of genre as as Ivanka's. Here's one: Is anyone else only getting three bars of signal? I mm. hate Verizon, but I'm locked in for two more years. Albert Einstein. Einstein. Mm. Well, you know what though? I mean, facts has fewer letters in it than theory. So maybe she just ran out of characters. Yeah. But it's Twitter. Yeah. Here, here's one by Gandhi: If you don't get what you want, resist with force. Mahatma Gandhi. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, here's a great one. I did not know was attributed to Genghis Khan. Oh, really? You're going to love he's this. He's quoted? One. Yeah, he's quoted too. Wow. Uh, you had me at hello. <laughs> really? <laughs> Genghis Khan. Here's one. Don't look back in anger. It's uh, by Panda Express. I think that's Panda Express. Oh. Yeah. That doesn't change the wisdom. That's one of Cole's... Um, 
what are they called? Fortunes. Grease, grease-covered fortunes. <laughs> Greasy fortunes. Yeah, there's, so there's a lot of great uh, quotes out there by a lot of wonderful leaders, but that one attributed to um, the great Albert Einstein from Ivanka is not factual. If the facts don't fit the theory, change the facts. That is not an Albert Einstein quote. Anywho, you can't be perfect. Come on. You got to be able to make mistakes once in a while, especially You're wrong. back in 2013 even. Crazy stuff. Hey, up next, we will be talking uh, with George Wang about health care. We talk about it. We try to fix it. million things we could fix. But there's going to be a lot more to fix than just actually changing a law. Maybe we ought to look at the entire approach to health care. All that here up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Talk about good. BYU Radio. This is John mowing the lawn back and forth, back and forth. This is Mary sitting in rush hour traffic and sitting. And this is Fred. Fred's typing on his computer for a very long time. If your theater of life needs an upgrade, head to the Utah Shakespeare Festival. All nine dynamic plays of it right next to Utah's famous national parks. The Tony Award-winning Utah Shakespeare Festival. It's the greater escape, and you know you need one. Visit bar.org for tickets. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, many people believe that the only way to good national and personal health is to change our current health care laws with repeal and replace. We've heard that over and over again. The thing is that there are many avenues to good health. And joining us today to uh, walk us through some other views of um, medicine that we might want to look at other than just legislating health care. We, we might want to reevaluate the entire system to create more of an integrative care. And joining us today to talk about it is Dr. Um, George Wang. He is uh, a, a now certified in integrative medicine, acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, and is a geriatrician and an integrative medicine physician and adjunct professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Uh, Dr. Wang, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What an interesting, um, you know, time in our lives where we hear all of our our leaders, our congressional and uh, Senate leaders, you know, working, trying to figure out a way to to, I guess, create a healthier health care system for us. But in the end, the bigger problem may not be, you know, uh, the repeal and replace. It may simply be how we look at health care today. And maybe we're not looking at it with such an integrative approach. Talk to us, Dr. Wang, about uh, today's approach, you know, kind of status quo as it is versus what you would propose we should do with our health care system. Yes. So I think uh, many of us as uh, healthcare consumers, when we navigate it and experience the healthcare system, we we are seen by doctors who are trained in conventional medicine and uh, essentially the the clinical training that the physicians and healthcare providers receive are in such a way that we view the human body as sort of, as sort of almost like a machine with fixable parts, and we break down those parts into smaller and smaller pieces um, and organ systems, molecules, 
and uh, and we have treatment modalities out of our toolbox uh, to fix those disease body parts. And, and so most of what we have in our toolbox is medications, uh, invasive treatment procedures, surgeries, um, which have certainly helped save many lives. Yeah. And uh, right, and certainly there's um, a role for uh, medications in many situations, uh, particularly in acute situations. But uh, in the long term, health is created not just out of of that paradigm. Mm. We have to think about health before we start having the we start have the, having those diseases, and um, certainly there are talks about prevention, disease prevention, and health promotion. But I think we still have a long way to go, and um, and I think that there needs to be a paradigm shift in the way we think about health in the current healthcare system. In, in that, instead of viewing the human body as smaller and smaller fixable parts, we ought to look at the individuals as whole persons, mm. and we are, you know, we are living beings with mind and body, and and some also uh, 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 believe spirit, and 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 when we speak about body, mind, and spirit in an inclusive sense, we are considering what's the, what are most vital to a person's livelihood, what's what are most important for a person uh, in, in his or her life. So we, we it's interesting because yeah. we broke it down into like cardiology, rheumatology, pulmon, pulmonology, neurology, orthopedics. That's our parts, but you're saying maybe a better a more integrated approach would be um, looking at, at humans as not their parts, but their mind, body, spirit, and figuring integrated approaches to dealing with those levels. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, the, the 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 way that the specialties have have uh, developed is it's a reflection of what we call the 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 reductionism of modern uh, medicine and uh, the what would be a better way to view health is to as I said to look at the whole person fundamentally mind and body uh, to reduce what we call the fragmentation of care uh, and so instead of uh, for example if, if someone has um, develops high blood pressure, which then leads to uh, heart disease, instead of uh, focusing on just treating the blood pressure and just treating the heart, maybe we should take a step back and look at the whole person. What did, what happened to lead to the high blood pressure and the heart disease? Hmm. Um, for example, if, if the person is leading a very stressful lifestyle uh, as Many of us are nowadays um, having stresses from from work, family, uh, uh, social lives. 
that could lead to high blood pressure. Uh, that could lead to a, a dietary habit that, that might not be as conducive to heart health uh, and health of the entire body. And so we we take a step back and look at the whole person. Uh, perhaps there are ways we could uh, help uh, reduce the stress, and uh, and that in turn would reduce the the their the research that shows reducing stress improves the immune system, improves the inflammation, which is associated with many chronic diseases, uh, and that uh, in turn leads to can potentially lead to better uh, uh, eating habits, uh, that, which in turn can lead to better heart health and health of the entire person and just well-being overall. Because otherwise he would show up at the emergency room, uh, maybe with high blood pressure, maybe with chest pain or whatever, and then be sent to a cardiologist. But he really, in the end, could also need... Uh, some focus on his stress reduction, psychology, maybe uh, psychiatric help if we break it into that, diet, um, plus every other system that would be impacted by uh, stress and high blood pressure. So, I mean, it, it seems like it makes sense, but then it also seems like how will we how do we change such a system dr wang when it when there's so much money being made um by the pills that are created to eliminate that symptom um or the the uh a mentality with our doctors of you know they all have their procedures they all kind of have the the money they make on their one or two given procedures based on their focused area how, how do you ever change such a whole system I mean, how do you change the system to become a whole system? Uh, I think we, you've touched a fundamental question, and uh, I don't think there's one simple answer to that, but having a conversation such as we're having right now, even uh, on the air, this, such conversations are a crucial first step to not just educate the public, but also to start this type of conversation with the healthcare system and the healthcare providers and the, and the trainings. Um, I know certainly when I started medical school and, and did my residency, uh, I was not exposed to this type of thinking, to this type of, uh, of view of, of health. And, um, but now there are more and more um, this type of thinking infused into clinical training. Uh, we still have a long ways to go, but uh, there are more and more medical schools that are considering health in an integrative way. And, um, uh, and by, by, by integrative, we mean making the best evidence of not just conventional medicine, the way it's practiced now, but also the best evidence for other complementary uh, modalities of of treatment uh, of disease prevention, huh. and so, for example, uh, there are academic institutions that have now integrative uh, health centers. Hmm. Uh, there are academic institutions that now have uh, what we call teaching kitchens, which are. Uh, designed to 
educate um, the the public healthcare consumers about healthy uh, lifestyles, healthy cooking uh, as a way to you know sort of to prescribe uh, healthy eating mm. as the primary means of health creation rather than prescribing medications as the first line of treatment. Again, we're speaking with Dr. George Wang, who is a geriatrician and integrative medicine physician, also adjunct assistant professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins University, about integrative medicine. Uh, Really, it's, I mean, I guess the interesting thing about it is we are talking about it finally, and um, I just had a bout with uh, what ended up being gallbladder issue, a gallbladder issue, but Boy, I had no idea that there were surgeons that pretty much specialize in gallbladder surgery or pancreatitis or um, – I mean they're so specialized. And what I didn't realize is it really becomes their bread and butter. They they, they get very good at doing one or two or three things. Um, is it – so this idea of being holistic would mean that you'd have to be you, – you, would you have to be kind of a master of many areas – to to create it a holistic approach or just generally always be looking to the whole system as the problem and the solution i i think uh the one doesn't have to to be a certainly a specialist in 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 everything but uh, one has to have the view of of uh, the, the the forest instead of of just the trees mm. Uh, so, and that's the role of a primary care uh, provider, uh, whose whose uh, most important job is to view the to take care of the person that, as a whole person, and then uh, con- depending on the needs of of the patient, the person, the healthcare consumer, then if he if they are not able to address a particular situation, then refer to a specialist, but the the way that the healthcare system is fragmented now, it, 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 we tend to refer to specialists, um, for example, to take care of, of uh, a gallbladder issue. Uh, and and now in your experience, when you uh, went to the the surgeon and and have that taken out, have you has anyone uh, explored your your lifestyle with you? Has anyone explored how you what what makes you alive as a human being? For example, yeah, you know it was really interesting because um, my primary care physician would and does, but then I had um, I had a gallbladder attack that sent me to emergency the emergency room. And then that, then that, without really any connection to my primary care physician, they then diagnosed it, tried to figure it out. Um, then eventually they sent me to other specialists who were hopefully also communicating with my primary care physician, but not very deeply. And I honestly didn't see my primary care physician till the end of it all when I just went back for a, 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 a visit 
you know, after the whole thing was done. And the, the whole time I'm thinking, man, I really should have been going back to my primary care physician to make a lot of these decisions um, because it, they did take a month and a half to take the gallbladder out bef- between when I went to the emergency room and then went to the the care. But like you're saying, there was nobody that was looking at my whole lifestyle because what we found out is I had already gone to have other tests and was diagnosed with all of these other things before that. And in the end, it really all came down to a gallbladder issue. But it was because of stressful lifestyle and other things. So, I mean, it's yeah. it's a big it's a big problem. And I, I guess, too, that I even had doctors that were trying to save me money, trying to save me effort. Um, but in in their efforts to save me kind of money on certain procedures or things, they weren't looking holistically either, and it took a lot longer, and I was in more pain longer. Yeah, and, and um, certainly your experience is uh, not um, uncommon, uh, and uh, that uh, tells us that we do have a long ways to go in fixing the current healthcare system. Uh, but um, I think it has to start somewhere. And um, having this type of, type of conversation, uh, planting these seeds in terms of how both uh, the healthcare consumers and the healthcare providers view health and, and view disease prevention, view health creation, uh, is an important first step towards further changes. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Again, we're speaking with Dr. George Wang, and we'll continue this discussion about how to create a more holistic, integrative uh, integrative approach to medicine. That's our goal, helping you live longer and healthier lives. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM, 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we hear all of this talk back in D.C. about repeal and replace, about Obamacare, about health care costs. And yet, uh, is that really going to change your health care? Because deep down, there's there's probably bigger decisions that need to be made when it comes to creating a healthier and, and even more cost-effective uh, health care system. Joining us to talk about it is Dr. George Wang. He is a geriatrician and an integrative uh, medicine physician, also an adjunct assistant professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Uh, and Dr. Wang is um, now certified in integrative medicine, acupuncture, and traditional Chinese medicine. We appreciate your time. Thank you again for being with us, Dr. Wang. Uh, this has uh, has been a great conversation. Thank you for having me. You bet. Uh, talk about the costs. If if we, because there's a, I guess there's a lot of money being made on on kind of the current system as far as you know we diagnosing problems, not necessarily so much preventative care that we're not necessarily focusing on as deeply as maybe we need to, or integrative care. Uh, but there is money being made on a lot of procedures, a lot of medicine, pharmaceuticals being prescribed. 
um, which seems to make a lot of companies happy. In the end, if if we could get a more integrative approach where we had body, mind, spirit, maybe more uh, being evaluated by all, all of our physicians and looking for the holistic problems, would that lower cost, do you predict, or is does that make it more you know more expensive down the road to deliver the medicine? Uh, yeah, in, in fact, there are clinical research studies that shows that such an approach, an integrative approach to healthcare, reduces the, the healthcare costs. So, for example, there was a study done at uh, by Harvard researchers that shows that a a mind body intervention actually leads to a lower use of healthcare resources and even decrease the emergency visits, emergency room visits by half. Hmm. Now, um, I, you, I can totally see that. I, I even see here at BYU um, how how hard they're trying to get us to look at our entire health, right? And if we if we would go get involved in activities, physical exercise activities, or going to classes with dietitians, that'll they'll even incentivize us. They'll pay us money to do that because they know it'll lower our healthcare costs as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and disease prevention is a much a better, better way of, of creating health than trying to tackle the problem once it has arisen. What do you um, what do you think Dr. Wang we what can we do? What can I do with my family to to maybe force the hand of my physicians a little bit more in, in taking an integrative approach? I think uh, there's in the healthcare system there's always a supply and demand and uh, if you, uh, me as healthcare consumers, if we go and ask our our doctors for more of these holistic uh, ways of treating disease, ways of uh, promoting health, then the, I think the healthcare system and, and the healthcare providers will have no choice but to supply more of those services to to all of us. And, and I think right now, because the way that we're all trained to view disease and health, we when we go to the doctors, we we are uh, satisfied when the doctors prescribe medications for certain disease uh, without for our diabetes, for example, um, without going into more depth of of what we should do as a, as a human being to to live a better better a more fulfilling life so 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 for example if let's just take the heart disease which which is the number one uh problem across not in just in the u.s but in the in the world if we ask if your doctor diagnoses coronary artery disease or otherwise known as coronary heart disease um instead of uh saying, okay, I, I will take these medications, we should also ask, what else can I do to, to, to prevent the worsening of the disease? Or even, what can I do to reverse the disease? Hmm. And there are research that shows that a, a holistic, uh, comprehensive lifestyle intervention can actually reverse coronary artery disease, which is essentially uh, a disease of blockages of, of the blood vessels of the heart. So 
a, a clinical trial that showed that, that looked at people with coronary artery disease uh, and, and assigned them to receive the standard of care versus uh, uh, a care where they uh, underwent a essentially a whole food plant-based diet, uh, meditation, yoga, uh, stress reduction, uh, moderate aerobic exercise, that group of people who received the holistic intervention actually did better uh, and had the blockage, some of the blockages in their blood vessels reversed. Hmm. And that also, uh, that type of holistic intervention for heart disease also has been shown to uh, decrease hospitalizations as well as decrease the overall costs. Interesting. Well, yeah. And all of a sudden, it seems like it, but it, this is what's, I guess, a weird question. Um, so is is because when you sit there and say, OK, I need to work on diet, med- meditation, exercise, stress reduction and yoga, or I can just take this pill. Um, boy, yeah. I, it seems like most Americans would say, I'll just take the pill. I'll take the pill. <laughs> and, and, and in the end, so some of this might simply be because. You know, we're going to go to what's easiest, um, even if it's not in the long run best for our health. We we do we just tend to take the the easier way out, and is that why the medical world is taking kind of the less effective approach? Yeah, yeah I think that's all a sort of a side effect of the the way healthcare is currently structured. Now, with the fifteen minute office visits, there's it's there's that much less time to counsel patients on these lifestyle changes. It's much, it takes much less time to prescribe medications than to go through all those uh, counseling. Hmm. Uh, but certainly it's much needed. Um, and uh, in the long run, that we're doing a disservice for patients and uh the public when we uh, don't, as doctors and healthcare providers, don't engage patients in a more uh, comprehensive conversation about what it means to be healthy. Yeah. And you know what? I've seen it myself, Dr. Wang. I really have just with this little gallbladder thing. It It's so much more complicated than gallbladder, right? And it's so much more complicated than, than even – and not complicated, but more holistic. And so I appreciate your insight, your willingness to uh, be with us again. Dr. George Wang, who is a geriatrician and integrative medicine physician, also uh, wrote this article for theconversation.com, Why There's More to Fixing Healthcare Than the Healthcare Laws. We're here, folks. We do the show to help us all uh, get the ideas we need to live longer, healthier lives. You know, it's not it's not easy, but it is uh it's important, I think, to all of us to know what would work for us. When we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, continuing this discussion and doing a little Coach's Corner, how we create a healthier life. That's up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. What matter with you, boy? You too stupid to do what your coach tells you? Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. Play ball. Welcome back. You know, could we ever expect our healthcare system to care more about our health than we do? You know, in the end, how much, if you could take a pill 
to lower your cholesterol or and your and, and eliminate some of your heart disease or if you had to you know exercise meditate uh, do some yoga um and, and all of these other things that demand so much of you would you do it in order to create better health for yourself well according to a nationwide survey conducted earlier this year by Harris Poll on behalf of career builder it says that 56% of US employees think that they are overweight that sentiment of uh, 3420 full-time workers um, in the study, half of those felt like they were overweight. According to the findings, two in five workers believe they have put on pounds in their current job. On par with last year, 25% said they gained more than 10 pounds in the last year. 10% gained more than 20 pounds. Why the weight gain? It's attributed to sitting at the desk. 51% of the people blamed sitting at the desk all day. Too tired from work to exercise, 45%. Eating because of stress, 38%. Eating out regularly, 24%. No time to exercise was 38%. Workplace (laughs) celebrations, happy birthday. (laughs) 18% are gaining weight because of that. How about the office candy jar? 16% of people say that uh, that is what's helping, that's causing them to gain weight. Happy hour to, you know, celebrate getting through the day, 4%. So in the end, we're getting we're getting heavier and heavier, and many are blaming our workplace for that, even though many work uh, organizations are have a culture where they're trying to create a wellness culture. In fact, in some uh, people, in some programs, you can actually earn about $532 a year just for being involved. For example, some uh, wellness programs, so look into them at your, in your organization, will pay you $164 for health biometric screenings. Or they'll pay you $132 for quitting, uh, for smoking, stopping your smoking. $111 if you enter into a weight management program in some of these uh, wellness programs. So just know there's resources for you. There's There's places you can go. Or you can just you know, continue to struggle. We had a yogurt parfait bar uh, offered by our wellness program to draw everyone in. Everyone will come for some parfait, right? And uh, when they come, then you can learn more about the wellness program. So look into your organization. Or, by the way, if you, if you, you know, don't have a company to go to, look into what your cities are doing. And uh, even the hospital program that you belong to, if you have insurance, you probably yourself have other wellness programs you could be taking advantage of. But there are resources there for everybody. Again, the goal is to become as healthy as we can. And let's do it together, for heaven's sakes. Uh, let's even – let's not just rely on our senators and legislators to bring the health to us. Let's start figuring out how we can take care of ourselves. It's hour number one of the program. Here to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. Guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here along with Terry and Jeff hanging out today, doing what we can to bring you the, the latest and greatest in research, ideas, 
Today we'll be talking about why, uh, really, I mean, Uber, you've heard about Uber and some of the uh, problems that they need to they needed to do to fix their culture. Fox News has had a little culture shift as well. A lot of companies are struggling with uh, just some things that they may not be doing very well. Today we'll be talking about how you fix a toxic culture like Uber's. And it, it probably requires more than just firing or, you know, moving the CEO. You need to get the self-driving or flying cars. Well, yeah, that would be a different culture issue. This is more hmm. like why are they so maybe sexist at Uber? They had a little problem with their leadership and seeing women as equal. Didn't they have an Uber pro- – maybe it wasn't Uber – but they had a program where uh, you could only have – there were, were female drivers for female passengers. Oh, like Uber security. Yeah, maybe. I, I did not know about you that. Didn't hear actually about that? would make sense though. One of the companies – I don't know if it was Uber, but it was one of those companies did come up with that because there were some uh, – Yeah, you want to be safe. There were some situations very isolated where a driver you know, assaulted yeah. somebody and they wanted to give people some peace of mind. And so they offered this mm-hmm. other service and it would be – you could choose who you want Which to gender, yeah, you say, up. yeah. No. You know, it's it's. Think about it. It's a brand new concept, relatively, and now all of a sudden anybody can come pick you up. Um, and and this is one of the problems you may have with a lot of these startups is they then take off, and all of a sudden you started with a startup leadership team, but you need to have an advanced, highly skilled C you know, C-suite level leadership skills, and they don't necessarily have that. So no. and then that then the culture is created and you have a lot of people turning. I mean, there's been weird stories all about you, Uber all over the country, but th- that's not Uber, but, but like you, it does reflect some of its leadership. But like you said, it's not just Uber. This is it's all across the business. Think landscape. about United Airlines that we've talked about a lot recently. Think about Wells Fargo. Think about Volkswagen. Think about I mean, there's a lot of companies that have cultural issues that need to be dealt with. So today we're going to be talking with an expert on how to fix a toxic culture. Also, by the way, holy cow, when animals attack. Which one? So would you rather have – I'm just going to give you four animals. You tell me the one you'd most rather interact with. Nice. Bees. I guess I don't know those are animals. Uh, They are. uh, Mountain lions. Cobras. Or bears. I'll take the bees. Oof. How about 35,000 bees? Yeah. Does does that change anything? No, I'll take the bees. You'll take the bees. You'll take the bees over a mountain lion? Yeah. How about over cobras? Absolutely. But the cobras, let's just say, are in a box. So is maybe it, you need to worry about them. Maybe you don't. Is mm. the box secured with duct tape, packing tape, or scotch tape? I'm not going to say if it's secured at all. It's how a about folded post-it note. Uh, how about, <laughs> how about you're, what, you're in bed and a mountain lion jumps on your bed while you're in it? Hmm. Mountain lion, by the way, also known as a cougar here in the West. Interesting. Yeah. So the cougar, if a cougar just runs in, jumps on your bed, you got to get out of there. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure which one I would pick. I know. That's I think each of them have their own danger. We've got a story around each one of them today. Plus also a Florida man that just drives into a Lowe's and starts cutting lot lumber. You know? Wow. Just all of a sudden, hey, I'm just going to start cutting some lumber. So Why service. not? Right. Why yeah. not? Why not? All of those stories 
you didn't even know you needed to know about, but now you're going to know about them. Did you know? Did you know? Lions, tigers, bears. Oh, my. And bees. Cobras. And cobras. Well, that was a different day, but still. No tiger. Just lions, bears, cobras, and bees. Oh, my. Hmm. Ah, got a great show. We'll get to all of that fun and, and so much more, actually. So much more that we even we don't know about. Can we yet. promise more? We can promise even more. Wow. And for less. More for less. <laughs> and it will be less filling but more fulfilling. Great tasting. Are you sure I'm it's not, not sure what we're doing you sure here. it's not less for more? I don't even less know. Less content, more time. Yeah. We will take all the time we can and give you as little of content as we have to. Wow. That's a promise. <laughs> That's one that won't make much money, though. Uh, but first, of course, to the headlines, let's have Terry enlighten us about what's going on around the rest of the country. Terry? A couple of U.S. Navy stories to start out with. The crew of the USS Fitzgerald was likely at fault in the warship's collision with a Philippine cargo ship in June. Really? Remember that story? Yeah, what happened? Uh, it had not been paying attention to their surroundings, according to initial findings in an investigation, the U.S. defense official told uh, Reuters on Friday. So if you remember the story, you have a USS Fitzgerald coming out of the Sea of Japan, I believe. Yeah. There's a Philippine-flagged uh Crater, uh, uh, cargo ship, cargo ship yeah. coming coming kind of north, and uh, the, they collided. Yeah, and and you're like, wait a second, both of these have highly advanced radar and autopilot. They were wondering if maybe the, uh. the cargo ship was on autopilot, and it was in the middle of the night. But so, the cargo ship went all erratic, right? Yeah, the cargo ship made a but weird. The spin Americans move. weren't looking, weren't paying attention. Well, the Americans have a have a, a night shift, basically, right? Yeah. You have a whole crew up someone was running the ship, and no one looked over to see something the size of the. Well, op- what do you do? I guess you would just get everyone awake and have them brace for a you, cargo ship. You turn the boat. The thing's the size but, of. But a, they don't turn a, very fast. Do but they? It's the size of a skyscraper. You could turn a battleship faster. You can, I'm talking about the, the actual oh. USS Fitzgerald, right? Oh yeah, yeah. They have lookouts. They have a. Yeah. a they have. Yeah. I mean, the captain may be asleep, but someone's on the bridge, right? But you know what they say when the captain's asleep, which is what probably happened. They start their poker game. Yeah. <laughs> Someone wasn't doing their job, and people oh, that, died. Yeah, like six people died, didn't? They? I mean, that's right. sad, tragic. So, so they're they're saying their findings. Uh, just their their initial, by the way, U.S. multiple U.S. and Japanese investigations underway to see how this collision happened. Uh, the much larger ACX Crystal container ship. It was in clear weather uh. in the Tokyo Bay. It was early hours, but there's no reason for anyone to have any right. issue. And you have a battleship that has the most technologically advanced systems. But when you you know, there's that moment where you know they were just probably turning the the cargo ship around, and then you hit. You, you hit an American battleship. Right. I mean, it couldn't have worse luck. No, not like, at all. You could have hit anything else but an American battleship. So it says the official said that in addition to crew members not paying attention to their surroundings, they did not take action until it was too late. And it's the worst no. naval disaster since the USS Cole was bombed in Yemen really? in 2000 when hmm. it comes to death of sailors. So, uh, Other news, the U.S. Navy reconnaissance plane operating in international airspace during a routine mission over the East China Sea was intercepted by two Chinese fighter jets on Sunday. One of the fighter jets flew underneath the U.S. aircraft at a high rate of speed, slowed, and then pulled up really quick, forcing the U.S. plane to take evasive action to prevent the possibility of collision. So again, more near air misses Boy. with other governments. And they said this, the, you, you have these sort of intercepts that happen, but the Pentagon is saying this one was especially unsafe. Like, 
Just because they flew too close? Yeah. I mean, we got, we're running up against Russia, we're running up against China, and everyone sends everyone up to check each other. It and- makes you wonder, really, maybe some of these other pilots aren't as well-trained as maybe the Americans are. Or maybe they are. That's why they can pull these moves. And they're, they're deemed unsafe, but they're safe enough. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Mm. Uh, Roomba. You know what a Roomba oh, yeah, is? Yeah. The, the automated robotic yeah, my favorite, sweeper? My favorite robot sweeper. They're a popular brand of robotic vacuum can make maps of homes as it cleans. And Roomba's parent company, iRobot, is reportedly considering a sale to tech giants like Amazon, Apple, or Alphabet, which runs Google. Uh, they want to send them the maps of these homes. Oh, Right, so Roomba, no, they're no, cruising no, around no, people's no. houses vacuuming, and they make a map of the home, so that's how it knows where your couch is and where the end table is and all that. Well, that information, iRobot, the parent company, gets that, and they want to sell that information. No! <gasps> no. It says the data would be used in smart home technology, but could also raise privacy concerns. Yeah. For Roomba owners who don't want their data sold, iRobot CEO told Reuters that it would not sell customers' data without their consent. Okay. But now, now now, you're like, wait, I thought it was just vacuuming my house and it has a whole map of my house and now it's being streamed and somewhere. what and... happens when it sends data that you never vacuum your house, you dirty pig? There you go. This is where their couch is. Yeah. This is where the husband passes out. This is where he leaves his socks every night. Mm. Yeah. I don't like that idea. I mean, Which is why it's been brought up, because it's a privacy concern. Well, by the way, whoever thought their vacuum would turn on them like that? Absolutely. What a joke. Ooh. Well, a, joke. a long time ago, we had the story about the Roomba that turned on its owners after it vacuumed up something. Some doggy doo dude. Yes. Yeah. It was all over and the house. That, <laughs> that's why I love a Roomba. I mean, there's no better story than a Roomba story. And as you ask people that own Roombas, they've had experiences that way. Because something, food, yeah. something gets left on the ground and it just runs right over the top of Roomba it. Roomba goes awry. Finally. Yes. This weekend. What? was Comic-Con. In San Diego. Exactly. All kinds of trailers, all kinds of just... A lot of weird people. Really cool. The, the thing that ticks me off is they keep showing trailers but they don't release them to the public and then people in attendance who see the trailer yeah. give you the uh, 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 they, they write a whole article describing what was in the trailer but there's no there's video no trailer, of the yeah. trailer so so they're, they're, those are pre-release trailers well they're 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 a sneak peek sneak peek trailers and you have to go to Comic-Con in San Diego or Disney's conference D23 that they had last week before Comic-Con to see any of these trailers Wow. The scene of these released footage. Now, somebody did take their cell phone and did sort of a pirated copy, and I watched that. It's horrible, but very entertaining. It's a horrible quality video, but I watched it. This is something that – this seems like a first world problem. Really, really – probably the essence of a first world problem is what I'm talking about. A first world problem for, you know, nerds. They did release the new Thor Ragnarok trailer, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, I'd sounds, have to say that sounds fantastic. It's kind of a it's going to be a buddy movie. It's going to be like planes, trains, and automobiles, but oh. with Thor and Hulk, or like Rush Hour. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Yeah, it's it's a buddy it's a buddy adventure as they try to save the universe, basically. What was that, Jeff? That you just said that was from Rush Hour. Yeah, no, didn't even I didn't hear. So it. this brings up another thought: What if we run out of source material for comic book movies? Wouldn't that be great? It would be horrible. Wouldn't that be a blessing? 
I mean, I just saw Spider-Man. I'm like, ah, we're going to run out of good ideas. For, I mean, but, but I just rest, haven't we already run out of good ideas? No, not at all. Rest assured, <laughs> between Marvel and DC, there are some 17,000 characters to choose from. Enough for them to keep battling it out for box office dominance for the next 3,400 years. Hmm. So we're good. Yeah. There's no threat that we're going to actually lose the, the ability to continue to make comic book movies. <sighs> Darn it. I'm really happy about that news. Yeah. It helped me rest easier through the weekend. I mean, it made your headlines. You know, if you go on, it's, it's either Yahoo or IMDb, they did rank the top seven trailers from Comic-Con. So you can watch some of them. Right. But why would you? And I did the see the, the Stranger Things uh, two. season two trailer. But why are those at Comic-Con? Because it's sci-fi, it's entertainment. See, I think Comic-Con's getting bigger than... It is. It just takes everything in now. Just let it go and enjoy the brilliance of a weekend of just every couple hours they release something new. I watched Wonder Woman this weekend. And? Um, It was enjoyable. Mm -hmm. It was very long. It seemed very long to me. Really? And I think it's because the story was so in-depth. I mean, you got a lot of her story, so you can now see that they could build a whole franchise on Wonder Woman. Wait, so you could have seen Dunkirk, mm-hmm. and you saw Wonder Woman instead? Yeah. He'll see Dunkirk in like six months. Yeah. You you constantly criticize these superhero movies, Yeah. and instead of seeing a true-to-life drama, you yeah. saw a an untrue-to-life superhero mean? What do you movie. mean, untrue-to-life? It was in World War One. Yeah. I there's something about her ability to stop bullets yeah. and the truth lasso, which played a really, really s- strong part, I think, in the movie. It, it has key. nothing to do key. with the fact that she is uh, portrayed by a supermodel. Oh, oh, was she a supermodel? Well, she's a model slash actress. Did not even notice that. Yeah. Just too okay. caught up in the acting. All right. Amazing. But I liked it because it showed in-depth storyline about a superhero. There you go. Which I kind of – I feel like I need because it's hard. I don't even know the whole Thor thing. So you bring that up and it seems like a Thor See, in my side. And over the weekend, there was a question. <laughs> Thor Thor has this hammer. Anyway. Right? We, we and gotta, so the question is, can Thor fly or is the hammer pulling him through the air? Speaking, and, then, and then the question, does it matter? These are important things that we I must think, think about. I think that's the more important question. <laughs> well, and speaking <laughs> speaking of flying, like Thor. With his hammer, Mjolnir. This uh, is actually sorry. somewhat of a decent segue. Yeah. Compared, you know. Yeah, compared to the other ones. Yeah. Um, snakes back on a plane. You've seen the movie. No, I've heard about the movie. We've had snakes in everything lately. Yes. Snakes are getting everywhere. Well, apparently the U.S. Custom and Border Protection Officer seized five live king cobras during an inspection at John F. Kennedy International Mail Facility. Five live king cobras. The x-ray of a package from Hong Kong showed juvenile snakes. By the way, nothing worse than those juvies, you know, the juvie snakes slithering around inside the box. Officers then contacted the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, and together they opened the package and found the live king cobra snakes inside. Speaking of trailers released at Comic-Con, yeah, this is another one that was released at Comic-Con. The king cobras found in Texas? S- snakes in JFK Airport. Really? Yeah. Does, does the trailer say anything about the geckos? They found three geckos in the package as well. 
No. If anything, the snakes ate the geckos. Ah, that's tragic. So, so as a just a little preview, because Terry and Jeff love these trailers so much. This was the number one trailer from Comic Con. Snakes at the JFK International Mail Facility. When Samuel L. Jackson fought snakes in the films Snakes in a Car, Snakes in a Bed, and Snakes in a Toilet, it was personal. But this time, it's postal. At JFK International Airport, packages marked special delivery containing venomous snakes are showing up at the mail facility. And there's only one man who knows how to handle them with care. I have had it with these mega-sized snakes disrupting my Monday through Friday delivery route. It's time for me to return you to your sender. Now you're certified dead. Snakes in an international airport mail facility. He's sending them on a one-way trip. A toxic workplace is not a very fun place to uh, to have to go to every day. While some people enjoy going to work, others, you know, may dread it, you know, because they feel like the actual culture of their workplace may be killing them little by little. Well, the rideshare service Uber's toxic workplace culture prompted the board of directors to make a change in their CEO. However, is a change of a CEO enough to change a toxic culture? Here with us today is Katina Sawyer, Dr. Katina Sawyer, a professor of psychology at Villanova University. And uh, she's here to talk to an article that she has written about the subject. Katina, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This uh, we, we hear stories of Uber. We hear Fox News in the news because of um, uh, their culture about and how they treat women in their culture. Uh, Sterling Jewelers, Volkswagen, Wells Fargo are having uh, other types of issues. Um, talk about is there a rise of these kind of toxic cultures or are we just hearing more about them today? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it's a really interesting question, and I don't have any sort of data to support that these things are happening more frequently than they used to. I think there is a lot of research that exists that shows that these kind of cultures have have been around for quite a long time. Um, And I think that really what's happening now is that with the rise of social media and the ability for people to document things in real time, share documents that are passed around through organizations more widely to people outside the organization, um, websites like Glassdoor that allow people people to report on the corporate culture that they are experiencing within their workplace. Um, All of this information is much more accessible to us now, and it travels really quickly. So I think part of the issue is, you know, and it's it's good, right, in, in, in many ways, that people have a lot more access to um, the information around corporate culture. And I also think people are starting to value corporate culture more than they used to. I think people are expecting um, jobs to provide good places to work that are going to be healthy places, both uh, mentally and physically healthy places for them to be in a way that may not have been the case years ago. Mm. And I mean, really, we've got to do whatever we can, it seems like, to keep our employees engaged uh, because we've heard so many numbers and statistics about how disengaged so many of us are when when it comes to and I guess a lot of that is a cultural issue huh it's 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 the it's the pressure and it's the systems and the structures that are created by our organizational leaders 
Absolutely. Yeah. Employee engagement is a huge issue. And I think that part of the reason why it's such an issue is because right now what companies are doing is they're sort of measuring engagement, which is great, right? You get a pulse on where things stand, but it still remains sort of a black box of what to do if you find out that your engagement is low. And so I think part of what companies are really looking for and what employees are looking for them to solve is, okay, we're telling you that things are not working the way that we'd like them to. What are you going to do about it? Um, How can I become um, more engaged with my job? How can I become more engaged with the corporate culture. And the good news for companies is that if they can crack that nut, if they can solve that problem, it does have a really positive impact on the bottom line, on employee productivity, on employee job attitudes, on referrals, mm. ability to recruit, all of these things that companies, you know, keep leaders of companies up at night about how to stay ahead of their competitors. Engagement is directly linked to those things. So if you can solve the problem of engagement, which really corporate culture is a huge driver of that. Most people like their actual job, the tasks that they do in their actual job, but it's it's who's around them and how they feel while they're doing those tasks that ends up keeping them from being engaged. Oh, interesting. So so some of the problems that we hear about, Uber, for example, w- had a lot of uh, issues with, I, I guess, harassment, sexual mm-hmm. harassment, uh, Fox News as well. Uh, so harassment would be some of it. But other organizations, um, Wells Fargo had a pressure of kind of – you know, going against your ethics um, was the culture. What other toxic cultures do we see? Yeah, I think that there are a wide variety of toxic cultures. I mean, there are toxic cultures that surround bullying um, and abusive supervision, which uh, myself and my colleague, uh, Christian Thorogood, who's also here at Villanova, we've done some work on that um, in that area, um, looking at cultures that sort of support supervisors acting in bullying ways or abusive ways towards uh, their the people that they lead. Um, and that can encompass harassment. Um, it doesn't have to be sexual harassment. It could be other kinds of harassment as well. Um, and this is more likely to happen in companies where there are really big power differentials between people in charge and people who are not in charge and when there's not a lot of checks and balances on leaders. So, um, yeah, it all kind of stems from um, the, the authority that people are given to sort of behave in the ways that they want to behave and the lack of accountability for or, or listening to followers when they report those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's around abusive supervision, bullying, harassment, and then also you had mentioned um, cultures that uh, – you know, put the bottom line first uh, in terms of making people make decisions that might look good in the short term for business, but in the long term, when those unethical decisions are uncovered, it can be really catastrophic. So um, short-term vision often drives a lot of these kinds of cultures because people aren't thinking about what are going to be the consequences in the long term when somebody figures out that this is what's going on. Hmm. And it seems like, and I don't know if Uber fits this mold, but some of these young startup companies, and you you see it. I'm surprised we haven't seen more of it in Facebook, Twitter, um, uh, even I guess Amazon. I mean, these were such tech giants that took and, and grabbed so so quickly that um, it, it almost seems like sometimes your leaders, your founders, could be you know shot to the top of a large organization worth billions when. They may not be the best leader for an organization. They just mm-hmm. – they may have been an awesome innovator, an awesome entrepreneur, but maybe the best entrepreneur doesn't make a great leader. Absolutely, and and I, I couldn't agree more. I think that one of the things that's really unfortunate that happens to leaders is that, you know, sometimes people don't – 
don't choose to be a leader in that kind of way or they're not prepared to be a leader in that kind of way, but they end up in that situation. They start something that ends up taking off and all of a sudden they're in charge of this big company. And, you know, a few months ago they didn't really see themselves as being in that position and all of a sudden that's their trajectory. Yeah. And I think that, you know, ultimately there aren't a lot of um, leadership skills trainings that exist within society and colleges or in other places where people garner those skills. So a lot of the time people are, you know, thinking about doing these kinds of things, starting companies, innovating, which is awesome. But then they don't have the leadership skills training along the way to make them effective when they get to the top. Now, some people are really good and intuitive about picking up on those sorts of things, figuring out how to make uh, companies really open and um, and friendly towards employees. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg uh, was very open and transparent from the beginning of starting Facebook that he was going to listen to his employees mm. and take their feedback very seriously. And I think that that two-way communication shows some um, natural uh, natural tendency towards empathy and listening um, as opposed to folks that feel like they have to have all the answers. And I think that um, because a lot of these people are people who are very talented um, and they're used to in their lives being told that they're right uh, that they're really smart, that they're really good at things. The idea of not being good at something can be so scary that oftentimes leaders or people who are, you know, catapulted into leadership positions feel uncomfortable asking for help. And I think that when they become overwhelmed and they're not doing well and they're seeing the signs of the times around them, the culture of the organization is bad. Maybe I've made some bad decisions or bad choices. Um, they're not willing to concede to that. And so things continue to devolve until they become public matters. Mm. Uh, again, we're speaking with Dr. Katina Sawyer from Villanova University. She's an assistant professor of psychology there talking about um, toxic cultures. And Katina, when you – in your article, you talk about the fact that you know they go in with Uber. Um, big investors say we need to change the CEO out. It's not working. So they, they kind of – they do a, a CEO change. But uh, is that enough to move a CEO out? Is that all you need in order to create the culture change? Yeah, and so I think, you know, ultimately, um, you know, ousting a CEO or ousting senior leadership sends a positive message, right, that there are some consequences or accountability um, that's, that's necessary in order to lead the organization. And so it's a start. But what ends up happening within these situations is that there are a lot of people who selected into a bad culture and who were selected uh, by others into that bad culture. So um, you oftentimes have people who fit well with that culture, so they actually liked the culture that they were mm. in. Um, or you have people who, you know, were really interested in that culture because they saw it as a way for them to um, personally gain if they, you know, kind of uh, aligned themselves with the leaders of the organization. So there are some people within the organization that are, you know, actively or we're actively invested in that culture. And those sorts of individuals also need to be, um, you know, rooted out or, or retrained at the very least um, on a new culture. And, and um, there are other people who are just going to be confused or lost or not understand what the direction is. So in these kinds of instances, yes, it does send a positive signal to get rid of senior leaders who are perpetrating a bad climate and a bad culture. But ultimately, the organization is then left with a lot of question marks. You know, what is the new culture? What's replacing it? What what were the bad behaviors? What behaviors should we do instead? Um, all of these kinds of questions arise when people find themselves in an organization that begins to look and feel a little bit different than the one that they had entered into. And so the question becomes, well, we know what we were wasn't working, but who are we now? And we need to, as leaders, leaders need to provide that structure. New leaders need to provide that structure for people if they want to see the change occur. Mm. In fact, you saw that. You saw many leaders at Uber 
that would bail out. They they got out because the uh, I don't know if the culture was bad, but their ability to get the results they wanted. I mean, I guess you've got to be a pretty strong person to to be willing to just walk away from these top tier jobs. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that the good news is that most people in organizations, leaders included, um, you know, we we often think that um, we are who we are across a variety of different situations. And most of us go along with a context, right? We perform differently when we're in a particular context. So if a, if a context supports bad behavior, people will go along with that bad behavior. But there is a breaking point to that, that people will, and, and particularly people with uh, high self-esteem, high levels of confidence, will tend to look at that and say, okay, this has gone too far. I've had enough. And those are the kinds of people that will leave those kinds of cultures and walk away from them. Um, so the good news is that there is a population of people that won't stand for it, but then it still leaves the organization without those leaders, right? The people that walk away are sometimes the people that you would have needed the most to right yeah. the ship. Um, so how do, you, how do you bring those people in or that type of person back in um, after you've had a, a big blow up like this? Yeah, and how do you, how do you become that kind of person? Yeah. So that so that you don't yeah the, the, you can become leader in integrity instead of having to just you know take the follow the same lead of of somebody that's more toxic. We're speaking with Dr. Katina Sawyer. We'll take a, a little break here, and up next we're going to continue this discussion about toxic cultures, but what we can do and and what others leaders can do to change the toxic culture. Uh, more importantly, to actually create a healthy culture, uh, a culture that people want to be a part of and uh, the, the kind that you would be proud of. That's all up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show, helping you lead healthier lives and a stronger workplace environment. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Uh, joining us on the phone is Dr. Katina Sawyer. She is a, an assistant professor of psychology in the graduate program in human resources development at Villanova University. And uh, her research focuses primarily on diversity in the workplace and the impact of negative workplace behaviors on organizational outcomes. Katina, again, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. I mean, really, it's uh, you would think sexual harassment would would be because half of your organization uh generally i guess would be statistically would be females would you would think that there would be even more pushback more blowback even earlier so what is it that allows the the institution and the culture to the, especially a sexist kind of uh a, a culture to last as long as it did for example in uber's in Uber's example. Absolutely, yeah. So I think a lot of this has to do with access to power and access to resources within organizations. And the more access to power and the more access to resources leaders have, the more they can hold that over their employees' heads. And so a lot of times what we end up seeing in situations of harassment is that, you know, women within the organization may sense 
already because of the culture that surrounds them that it might be a little bit more difficult for them to get ahead and be taken seriously as a female within the organization. Mm -hmm. So they kind of put their heads down and try to work as hard as they can to get themselves to the top based on their task performance, right, which is what, uh, you know, is supposed to happen at work. Um, Objective task performance is supposed to predict, um, you know, your success. And so it may be the case that, and what we often see, is that leaders often use harassment as a way to keep these people that they see as threats, or if it's just a sexist climate um, that they see as more of objects than as employees, um, and they use this form of sexism to sort of keep women in their place within organizations. And unfortunately, it actually is a tactic that works fairly well because it's very demoralizing um, to you know be in a workplace where you're treated that way, but it can also be really difficult to come up against a leader who has a lot of power and a lot of access to resources and organizations and feel confident that you're actually going to prevail um, in fighting that person on this on this case of harassment, right? So um, it often takes a long time, and the culture has to get really bad before someone is willing to speak up because they have to feel like the evidence is really not uh, able to be disputed, that it wouldn't be able to be turned back on them and the person wouldn't be able to use their power or their authority to make it look like that person was fabricating the information, etc. So sometimes mm. these things go on for a really long time before someone speaks up and as was the case with Uber and also with Fox News, you see one person, and, and oftentimes it's helpful if that person themselves holds some clout. So, uh, for example, at uh, Fox News with Greta Van Susteren, right, um, a person who is well-respected within the organization, who's a powerful figure that comes forward, and then you see this, you know, sort of deluge of other people coming forward and speaking up. Um, and a lot of times people think that that deluge happens um, because people are trying to cash in, right? Like, right. oh, I see someone else doing this, and so... I'm going to go after people. Really, the the likely scenario and the data shows the likely scenario is that that person has actually opened the door for people to speak about something that they've been wanting to speak about for a long time. So, um, unfortunately, the people that come after the first person that reports are often seen very negatively as if they're after uh, money or after power. Mm. Um, and, and really what, what is most likely the case is that these have been people who have been sitting on this for a long time and now feel empowered to speak up about what's been happening to them. Boy, and gives them a voice. It, it does show you that you really only need one or two people maybe in power to, to, to be willing to say something. But I guess it's so risky, too, because yeah. the entire system is against you. Yeah, it's difficult. And I think a lot of times, uh, particularly, you know, my my background is in psychology, but I also have a background in women's studies. And I know that sometimes, uh, you know, women feel like when they've made it to the top of the organization, you know, they want to be able to stay there because it looks good for other women to see that people can make it to the top. So once they're there, they feel uncomfortable often rocking the boat. So Mm. they're not sure the extent to which they should, you know, be a woman who ha- a professional who happens to be a woman or a professional woman, right? Right. Um, where they're they're um, using their position to argue for gender equity as opposed to um, using their presence as a as a physical reminder of the possibility of gender equity. And I think that those two things can sometimes um, be conflicting for people to figure out whether or not they want to advocate or whether they want to just be present. And sometimes those two things might not go together. You might not be allowed to be present anymore if you advocate. Interesting. And and yet it's it's so amazing to me because there's also there's a moral there's a moral code here that everybody could stand up for like just morally this is reprehensible but there's also a business code like yes. this is just bad business and it fox shows it because of how many people left how much money it cost them how it impacted ratings um 
after the turn. It's but even that it's interesting. Even the business argument may not matter if everyone's you know entrenched in fear. Yeah, and I think also you know a lot of times the business the business case is extremely important. And as you mentioned, you know in these kinds of environments, people have lower job attitudes, they have lower job commitment, they have higher intentions to turn over. All of these kinds of things that really affect the bottom line negatively. But many instances, the leaders that are in these positions of power don't view their actions as being part of that story, uh, right? Yeah. And they don't. They also um, may not be thinking about it from the business case because perspective taking is really a part of, of what harassment lacks, right? When people are harassing other people on a regular basis, they usually tend not to be very good at perspective taking. And so um, if you think about, well, how is my behavior impacting this person's day, this person's performance? Well, that's perspective taking. So oftentimes they're not thinking about it that way. So they're not making a link between their behaviors and productivity or attitudes, et cetera. So um, sometimes it really takes somebody to come into the organization and spell that out for people that this environment is monetarily damaging for you. And sometimes, even though that's not the best way to make the argument for why you shouldn't harass other people, sometimes that's really the wake-up call for companies is this is hitting me in the pocket. What can I do to fix it? Interesting. Well, and um, the, it's hard to take be good at taking perspective of others when everyone's afraid to offer you truthful feedback. Like yeah. I mean, you look at, at Roger Ailes, who was at the center of the Fox News um, issue and and all of the I guess toxic culture there, and especially anti women toxic culture. But you could tell that as the leader and the guru and the guy that made Fox News. Very few people probably dared to give him feedback, but it also yeah. was interesting how at the end of his life when his, he was weakening, I guess, in power anyway, it's like everybody finally were, – they were able to turn it. But yeah. how, do we, how do we get that earlier? How do you get it, especially to the innovator, to the real leader that created like a Fox News or created Uber? How do you – is there any way to really get the message more quickly into their head um, so that we, you don't have to take 20 years, 30 years to do this. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things that can be really helpful is making sure that leaders understand that they don't have to have the answer all the time, that being a leader doesn't mean always being right. Being a leader means being able to listen and make decisions and to work with others to create a collaborative environment that's going to support whatever the product or service is. So you're a facilitator as a leader. You're not a dictator as a leader, right? Um, and I think that that's important for people to recognize that if they don't have the answer, that information gathering process and collaborative process process of coming up with solutions, that's okay. And sort of breaking down those barriers between I'm in charge and you you work for me helps to create more transparency so that when these situations crop up, people feel comfortable going to the leader, as you just mentioned, you know, that people sort of feel like they would like to tell the person or other people around that person sees that person behaving negatively, but they don't feel like they can say anything about it. That's exactly what you don't want. You want people to feel like I can come to the leader, I can have an honest conversation with the leader, and the leader can do the same thing with me too, right? Um, if, I, if I am having an issue with performance or attitude or whatever, that we can have open dialogue about it. And instead of sitting and having all these unspoken issues that are going on within the group, that we get them out on the table, we fix them, and we move forward for continuous improvement. So I think it's really about changing the way that we think about leadership, changing the way that we think about how, how leaders could uh, and should interact with the people that follow them, um, and making the environment really one of learning and collaboration as opposed to sort of rule and order. 
sure. Yeah. It also seems like the board, these were all large, large organizations. So it seems like the board has a different role to play. I mean, it was the board that pushed Uber's leader out. And it seems like it might have been the board that that has guided other groups like Facebook and um, maybe Amazon. I mean, having outsiders that are actually actively involved, not just sitting there collecting a check, but are mm-hmm. actively involved in the culture of the organization and and hearing what's going on um, might be valuable as well. Absolutely. I think that outsider opinions are really useful. And we see a lot of times uh, in psychology, we call the effect groupthink. And I'm sure you and, and yeah. other folks have heard of that. Um, and one of the biggest ways to get yourself out of groupthink is to get outside perspectives and to take those perspectives seriously. So oftentimes, uh, especially in my consulting work or in other areas, I see people bring folks in to tell them what they want to hear. Um, and that's not, that's not useful, right? You want someone to come in and tell you the truth and then figure out what to do with that. So again, I think it really goes back to this transparency and openness and communication. And if we could get to young leaders early and tell them that, you know, being a leader is about creating a place where you want to work, where other people want to work, and you can work together to make that happen. And it's about facilitating that environment. I think that that could be really useful in sort of cutting down, um, you know, what happens when people get shot to the top and all of a sudden feel like I'm in charge. I have to act like I'm in charge. I can't ask for help. And I don't want anyone. And, and people pick up on that. And then they say, well, he doesn't want any help or she doesn't want any help. Right. Um, and so I'm not going to try to tell them when things are going wrong and things go on for too long um, right. until we see these kinds of problems. Ugh. Give us uh, the one thing I always ask the one thing that um, we should all be doing in our organizations, I guess, whether we're the leader or, um, you know, trying to make our way up the plat up the up the ladder is are there certain things we can do just to make sure that we are taking the place of other and um, and that we're getting feedback to the best that we can to our leaders. Sure. So I think, you know, one of the things that I am really, I really strongly believe, I mean, I think that there are definitely bad apples within organizations and in, in life and in society, right? There are people who actively enact negative work behaviors. And then there are people who are, are really, um, gifted and inspired and charismatic and able to sort of actively turn around cultures. And then there are a lot of people who are in between who sort of aren't sure what to do or how to act within these kinds of cultures. So if a good culture comes along, they'll stick to that. But if a bad culture comes along, they're not really sure um, or not really prepared to speak up or say something. And I think that empowering bystanders, empowering this group of people that actually makes up the largest group of people in organizations are the people that um, are sort of waiting to see what happens and trying to fit in and trying to go along with what they believe the company rewards and and values. Um, I think that empowering bystanders to speak up when they see something negative, when they feel like things aren't going the way that they should, you know, everybody has this gut feeling, um, you know, things are not happening the way that they should be, this this environment's not going well. Um, Empowering those bystanders to report, having reporting mechanisms that are open and transparent, taking action when those reports are made, all of those kinds of things are important. And, And being an open ear and an open door as a manager or as just a fellow employee, to start the dialogue with other employees that may be feeling the same way that you are can actually help to build momentum. You know, all of our movements in society have started by building momentum, small groups that start to grow over time because more and more people share a similar experience. And I think that in companies, being that person, being that open door and being that listening ear can help people to feel like the problem that they're experiencing may not be solo to them and can help gain some momentum, finding other leaders that feel the same way that you do 
and sort of building a quorum so that the organization can really start to change around from the inside out. Yeah, beautiful. Dr. Katina Sawyer, thank you so much for your insight. Again, Katina is an assistant professor of psychology at Villanova University and uh, is the author of uh, the article, Fixing a Toxic Culture Like Ubers Requires More Than Just a New CEO. Great insights for all of us, really. And are you part of the culture? Uh, are, are you just part of a you know bystander, or do you step up and actually push back when uh, you need to push back? Interesting insight. Up next, we're going to continue the journey and also continue giving you some insight on some of our empty news stories. What to do when a mountain lion jumps in your bed? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> do you just hide under the covers? That's up next right here on Sirius XM, 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Boy, animals are on the loose, apparently. Um, There's something about this summer. A California woman had a rude awakening on the 4th of July when a mountain lion crashed through her apartment window and landed on top of her while she slept. Can you imagine this? You're just having that great dream, mm, that, that lovely dream. And the next thing you know, you hear a crash. At first, I think she said she thought she was dreaming. It didn't seem real. Apartment manager Frances Munoz told local media, footage obtained by security cameras and shared with UPI show that the puma, a young adult, had earlier been spooked while narrowly avoiding a truck and then ran into the door of a bowling alley off of Main Street uh, in California. And threw a turkey, as I understand it. And, and through threw a turkey? Yeah. Three strikes in a row. Oh, is that a turkey? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that it was bowling. I just thought it just ran into the thing. Um, Later that night, it then barged into the woman's apartment, perhaps thinking it was an entrance of a cave. Maybe. Oh, hey, there's a cave. So what do you do when a puma or a mountain lion, I guess, jumps and lands on top of you? Uh, Panic. Do you play dead? Do you sit still? Just be still, be still. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Good kitty. Good kitty. Luckily, the woman wasn't injured. She chose to just open the door to her apartment, letting the bleeding and disoriented animal escape. Oh, so it was injured. Yeah, but uh, seems worse to have an injured mountain lion. It's understandable. I mean, bowling is kind of an all-contact sport. Yeah, it is. Nothing more, nothing more intense. Than that now, so that's that's one way to get it out. Just open the door in Park City, Utah. A man shooed a bear from his home Wednesday morning. No one anticipated the next move. It happened around 11:30 when Bob Anderson was having a sandwich when he spotted the bear. He said, "I'm about done with my sandwich," and I look up, and the bear is on the landing right there, looking at me, just looking at me. A bear. The bear tipped over a garbage can on his way out, and Anderson called police. Officials from the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources responded to the scene. The bear looks to be all ru- uh, about a year and a half old. It probably was just kicked out of its home by its mom. So, ah, it's crazy. And we have some footage, I think, some audio of the bear and the woman. Walking, walking and rolling. Out to my car, I'm strolling 
But the big bear's blocking my car. Not fun. I said, Big bear, hmm, stop it now. Everyone told me just to go in reverse. Said Big Bear's bound to move. Nudge him in the coconut, but he didn't. But he didn't have me going like yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing I could do but wait when this Big Bear blocked me. When I tried to yell, it seems that Big Bear was laughing, and then. Bear made his way to my refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Stealing my ice cream. I just wait, wait, wait and yawn. Watching him chomp on my bonbons. Eat, 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 then stop. Stop it now. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number three of the program. We've got another hour right here for you. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about things parents shouldn't trust. Things parents should not trust. From our uh, child whisperer, the bomb mom, Julie Nelson. How about anything our children say? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You were what? It's really weird because my kids all leave now and they go out on their own. We couldn't find our son yesterday. Uh, was no on Sunday, couldn't find him. Really? And we were like, okay, he must be up in his room sleeping. He went up and slept for about six hours. Couldn't and none of it. And then we assumed he was sleeping for a while. Then we assumed he went somewhere. And then we decided to go check, and he wasn't. He was. He was dead asleep. So, so do you trust? You spoil your kids, is what you're saying. We spoil them. And you spoil yourselves. Oh, it's wonderful. Because if, you know, we have three boys that were home for an extended weekend. And, you know, I'm convinced that three children should not play together because one gets left out. One gets bullied. And in your case, like with your family, one has a deafening, you know, ear blow or uh, (laughs) – because, yeah, your brothers would torture you. I should take back what I said. I You can trust what my kids say. We can trust what one of them says. The oldest one will tell the truth. She also has an impeccable memory. You can ask her where you left your keys, and she'll know the answer. That's great. The other one, uh, she's the type of kid who will, you know, you'll see the trail of cookies leading to her with the chocolate all over uh-huh. her face. And she'll tell you she didn't eat any of the cookies. Yeah. So you don't trust maybe that one. But trust the other one. Yeah. I would just always ask the other one, did she eat cookies? And she'd say, oh, yeah, she totally did. Oh, yeah. Then my oldest will will throw the younger one under the bus, but she also tells the truth. See, so. my kids that are at an age now where they just obfuscate and they're like, Dad, did any of us really ever eat cookies? Really? And they get all, <laughs> they get all theoretical. And what is a cookie anyway? Dad, really? <laughs> Is this really what we want to spend our energy talking about? We could be watching Netflix right now. Seriously. Oy vey. Anyway, great show for you. We'll be talking about things parents should and shouldn't trust. Um, Also, of course, uh, we'll be getting into some more empty news. What do you do when a Florida man, has to be a Florida man, drives into a Lowe's and just starts cutting lumber? 
excuse me, sir, we don't need that lumber cut. We'll talk about that. Also, what do you do when you find 35,000 bees living in your New York apartment? Hmm. Well, when life gives you bees, you make honey. Yeah. That's the totally old saying. True. No, that's I remember grandma saying that a lot. And or you just move out. I just move out. <laughs> I just move. I mean, I know apartments are hard to find there, but you just move out. Uh, so we'll get to those stories. Plus, of course, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. We're going to find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. And uh, we got to find out about what happened with uh, six BYU football players when they were stuck in an elevator. It's kind of scary, especially when one of the guys in the elevator weighs in at like 410 pounds. Wow. You know everyone's looking at him like, thanks, pal. Thanks. You got us stuck here. But, you know, there were How six How long people. were they in there? I don't know. We're going to find out. We're going to find the whole story. Oh, about 20 minutes. Still. I can give you that data. 20 minutes. 20 minutes is enough time to let you know who the cowards are. And well, that's, that's, that's right. <laughs> you, somebody starts breaking down. And then, you know, you immediately start identifying who's the first one you're going to eat if we're there for days. Hence the coward remark. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. We'll get into all of that, uh, give you some elevator etiquette if you get stuck in an elevator with a 410-pound offensive and defensive lineman. I would just look him in the eye and smile and say, good to be with you. You're a great man. That's what I would say. Oh, I thought, and then I thought you were going to say, good to have known you. Good to, good to have known you. You uh, will be the first one. No, um, we'll get to all of that fun. Plus, of course, uh, our hero of the day. And... Boy, when you're teaching CPR class, there might be a benefit to be teaching the class when you go down and then need CPR because then you got a whole room full of people. All that fun straight ahead. But first to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what's up that we need to worry about? St. Louis will install temporary air conditioners in a city jail known as the Workhouse after temperatures in the, the city topped 100 degrees over the weekend, triggering protests outside the lockup, the mayor's office, and local media reports. On, as a report on Saturday, police used pepper spray to disperse about 150 demonstrators outside the city's medium security institution, uh, protesting the sweltering conditions in which inmates were being held. Uh, at one point, some protesters scaled an exterior fence around the jail to provide, so it got kind of out of hand, it looked like. Wow. To provide relief, the city will install temporary AC units. The lack of cooling in Texas prisons has thrown both controversy and ongoing class action lawsuits into the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Inmates at another Texas prison claim that the heat constitutes cruel and unusual punishment. Argue the prison house should be kept at a maximum of 88 degrees. On Wednesday, a federal judge in Houston agreed, issuing a scathing order against the department ordering that air conditioners be provided for medically sensitive inmates at yeah. the uh, at the College Station, Texas unit in the next 15 days. But it, it, it is prison. Yeah. I mean, it could be worse. It could be. They could be, you know, working on a chain gang. But they could, they could uh, the, the judge is saying they could fix this rather easily, put in some air conditioning units. Oh, really, Your Honor? So what do you think, Matt? You're in prison. Does that mean you you do not have a right for air conditioning? I don't know. Is is air conditioning a right? Is it cruel and unusual punishment to not have air conditioning when it's 100 degrees outside? In my house, it's criminal if the AC is set, you know, above 75 degrees. There you go. See, but look look at that. Like, seriously, just think back to, what, 40 years ago? Mm -hmm. None of us had it. Right. 
And that wasn't cruel or unusual. That was usual and life. But now that exists, <laughs> so it it's beginning to be seen that it is well, cruel and unusual. Well, but so a lot of things exist that you it, can't Matt. have in prison. What should we do? Do prisoners need air conditioning? Um, they have cable TV. I, it's funny. I mean, there a lot of our schools just are barely getting air conditioning. Well, they're out during the summer. Right. Yeah. Except for when they're in, in June, and back in August. Right. Maybe I mean, they should get their cool air by, you know, the manually powered fans. Yeah. You know, when you're on yeah. a bike. You can always fan. By the way, maybe that's what they ought to do, is as soon as every school district in the country has working, incredibly beautiful air conditioning, then let's move to the prisons. Okay. That's all I'm saying. All right. I, I mean, just... I get it. I get it. But four months a year fanning. Now, if you have a medical issue, like they're saying, yeah. medical is yeah, for sure. In the hospital units, they ought to. Then like half the population of the prison is sick. Right. Because <laughs> it's hot. Just hydrate everybody. Just found that. St. Louis and Texas. Oh. Both dealing with an issue. Prisoners uh, want huge. air conditioning. They want air. I get it. I understand. A South African girl born with the AIDS virus has kept her infection suppressed for more than eight years after stopping anti-HIV medications. More evidence than early treatment than uh, can occasionally cause a long remission than that, if it lasts, would be a form of a cure. That's her cool. case was revealed Monday at an AIDS conference in Paris where researchers also gave encouraging results from tests of shots every month or two instead of daily pills to treat HIV. So mm. they might be finding some headway yeah. in a way to deal with this from a young age through life not, and then figure out if they can somehow adapt that to someone who gets it when they're an adult. Yeah, that's cool. Later in life. Um, other news. This came out this morning. We were just talking this about This just U- in. We were just talking about Uber and some of their issues. Yeah, their Uber, Uber issues. One, uh, the, the, their main competitor, Lyft, Hasn't had a lot of these same no. institutionalized you know, issues that Uber has had. Uh, Lyft is teaming up with Taco Bell. Mm. They've quite literally found a new marketing vehicle, as Taco Bell says. Its name is Lyft. The fast food chain is beginning a venture with the ride-sharing company this week that will allow Lyft passengers to request rides that incorporate a stop at Taco Bell. Through the drive-thru. I don't want to go. I just want to go home. You are going to Taco Bell. The company will test the option, which is will appear as Taco Mode in the Lyft app during the next two weeks around a Newport Beach, California location <laughs> of Taco Bell. With plans to expand the program nationally, its attempt is to tap into the trend of young people increasingly carpooling through apps like Lyft and Uber, and particularly when they're out with friends at night and they get hungry. You know, during the fourth yeah, shift. Yeah, when they get the munchies and they just need to. Go on taco mode. They need the fourth meal, and you roll through a Taco Bell. It seems fitting that it's coming from Lyft, because after I eat at Taco Bell, I need a Lyft. I can hardly get up. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you do. Finally. Awkward silence. Should TV networks speed up sitcoms to allow for more commercial time? No. Did no. You, did you know they're doing that? They've been doing it for years. Why are they doing that? 2013 found that TBS sped up episodes of Seinfeld by 7.5% to air, to air more ads during How, that half See, hour now that clip. is criminal. You don't mess with Seinfeld. How do they speed it up? The clip that shows a side-by-side comparison of TBS episodes and the original episode has been removed because of a copyright infringement. That's on YouTube. But it says, but there's an updated version from 2015 – so they take a clip from the DVDs, yeah, and then they take a clip from TBS. They sync it up with 
one word and then let them run. And the TBS version is all of a sudden ahead after like 30 seconds. Like dialogue. Wow. They sped up. In 2015, they were speeding up Seinfeld episodes by 9%. What? So crazy. They, they speak a little faster, right? Their diction is a little bit more specific <laughs> because <laughs> it's more rapid fire. <laughs> and sometimes it's hard to perceive. But as you're watching, you're like, wait a second. That seemed a little – and you get to this point where it starts sounding robotic. And so then they back it off. So you push yeah, you it don't want to sound like a robot. By the end of the episode, they've they've opened up another two minutes of commercial time. Yeah, do that with Two Broke Girls or yeah. How I Met Your Mother. But don't mess with Seinfeld, please, TBS. Los Angeles Times reports that other cable networks like TV Land have done this, especially with older shows like I Love Lucy and Friends. Because of this, more TV time has been taken up by commercials. Uh, or because more TV times have been taken up by commercials, Nielsen, a TV ratings company, found that broadcast networks air 15.8 minutes of commercials per hour in 2014, compared with 14.5 minutes in 2009. Hmm. So they're trying to make up the difference. Is that right? why I've been purchasing more lately? Yeah. Man. But it, it, it's funny that a lot of people aren't noticing it. What? It's just, which says we don't care. Bring it to us fast or slow. It's almost like what's more offensive isn't that they're making it fast or slow. It's that you're making it fast or slow for commercials. As it says here, That's offensive. In response to increasing number of commercials, TV shows have gotten shorter. Big Bang Theory, popular show, has an average runtime of 22 minutes compared to I Love Lucy episodes, which ran for 30 minutes. I know. I loved Lucy. So they just keep cutting more time of the show out to add more commercials in. Come on. And now they're speeding them up on the rerun so they can put even more commercials in. So if you feel like you watch those and you're on commercial all the time, you are. And maybe that's one of the subtle reasons why more and more people are anxious. Because, boy, Jerry and those guys, they sure move through their dialogue quickly. That's why my thumb is so sore because I've had to press the the fast-forward button more often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They've also – cable networks have also shortened opening credits for TV shows to increase time. I like that. Because, I mean, really, who cares? I mean, I, I fast-forward through that all, stuff all the time. Even to the point now where Netflix and Hulu are, are testing options where they'll have the opening credits, but then a button will show up that you can just press and skip. Oh. You don't have to sit there and guess as you fast-forward. Unbelievable. Thank you, Netflix. You are so wonderful. Hey, uh, speaking of Netflix, a Florida man drives into a Lowe's and begins cutting lumber. Amazing. Listen to this crazy thing. Talk about being efficient. The Florida man drove his vehicle through the back of a Lowe's home improvement store, entered the loading area, and began sawing lumber. Authorities were called Thursday morning to the store in Gainesville after he drove his his car through a set of hanging plastic strips at a loading door in the back. And uh, according to the Gainesville Sun, the man then parked his car, took out a circular saw, and began, began cutting lumber. He allegedly threatened employees who attempted to intervene. When Gainesville police officers arrived, they attempted to stun the man with a taser during the struggle. Now, it, it almost sounds like he brought his own saw. See, I think he did. So couldn't he just do that at home? Well, apparently not. He wanted to leave the mess there. You know, how many times has your wife said, no, 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 let's eat at the restaurant. Let's leave the mess there. Hmm. I don't want to bring the mess home. Usually so- the mess has nothing to do with it. What do you mean? Usually it's just the convenience factor, the yeah. food. He he wanted to – but I, apparently he hadn't paid for the wood, right? And he just starts cutting it up and then what? Tossing it into his truck? I mean it seems like if you want to get away with stealing something, you probably ought not you know, be doing the construction work you're going to be using 
the wood for at the Lowe's. Maybe he was just an overly aggressive job applicant. You know, like, yeah. oh, you're not going to give me an interview? I'm going to show you how well I can cut wood. Yeah. Then you'll hire me. How much wood could Larry cut if Larry could cut wood? <laughs> well, I'll show you. And he brought his own handsaw. And then he, by the way, threatening people with a handsaw. Like, that's scary. No, I think it just said he was threatening people. Oh, okay. So it could have been verbal threats. Hey, but back you know, off. I've got my circular saw here. Don't make me cut more wood. What's happening to us? I mean, again, this is a story you probably never would have heard if we didn't bring it to you. First that is most likely true. First on the scene, fifth on the facts, ninth on level of importance. The MT News Team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. And the apple bite. Because apple a day keeps the sod... Death away. Uh, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> no, not the sawdust. Uh, anyway, great insight for you, folks. That's why we're here, to give you a leg up in life. Up next, we're going to be talking about things a parent shouldn't trust with the bomb mom, Julie K. Nelson, will be with us. Stick with us. We're here to uh, lift your life and hopefully your parenting skills. Up next, right here on The Matt Townsend Show. We're back with uh, the bomb mom, we call her, also a spoonful of uh, Parenting.com founder. That's her website, a spoonful of Parenting.com. Her name, of course, Julie K. Nelson. Do we still use in the K? Maybe, if you want to. It's It's, a middle initial. It's an initial. Yeah. It's my my professional moniker. Julie K. Nelson. Uh, she has a master's degree in marriage and family and human development, also is the author of Parenting with Spiritual Power and Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. She is a professor at uh, Utah Valley University where she teaches applied parenting and marriage and relationship skills. She's the bomb mom. And today she's going to talk to us about uh, things parents shouldn't trust. Yeah, you got to kind of be on your toes as a oh, parent, right? totally. And I mean, or one of you does. <laughs> The other one can t- take a nap. Yeah. Hey, I'm a nap taking a nap. While the other one's on vigilant watch. Yeah, you watch the kids, will you? <laughs> and that's the teenage kids. Because right. they're tricky. They are. They'll don't, throw a little curveball at yeah, you. Yeah, don't leave them alone. Mm-mm. They'll make mischief. Don't <laughs> buy them a chemistry set for Christmas. Oh, yeah, we never did that. Yeah, blow up your house while you're not looking. Well, and I, did, I didn't know much about chemistry, so I'm like, why would I give them that advantage? <laughs> you know, you don't want your kids to know more. Than you do? Yeah. Then the next thing you know, they're, you know, building a bomb. <laughs> right. It's kind of right. scary. Right. So what should we not trust? Well, you know, as a parent, you kind of have to have your sixth sense on, right? Yeah. You just, you do got to grow an extra eyeball yes. on the back of your head. Totally. Right? No, okay. right. Or, okay. or, yeah, or just hire people. <laughs> or now you've got all this technology. You can just put cameras everywhere. Exactly. Right. I have a friend who actually has cameras everywhere. And when their kid is down watching a movie with his friend or girlfriend, if they look like they're getting too close, he'll turn the lights no on. No way. And that means dad is watching. That's kind of creepy. It's kind of creepy. It's kind of big brother. But he also can go find out when they when she left, 
what time Big father. he went to bed. Big yeah. father, yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the old days, we, you know, dad just got off their shotgun and said, any monkey business yeah. and I know how to use this. Don't make me come down there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, these are just some things just to kind of, you have to be a little bit wary as a parent, not trust everything, everybody. Kind of keep your kids safe. Yeah. And, you know, everyone alive. That's good so advice. Here's, Let's here's hear some it. list. On, this is, of course, you could keep going on this, but I just thought of some things that could help us out today. Good. One of them is I don't know if any of you parents out there have ever had a toddler. I suppose you did because that's one of the earlier stages. Yeah, it's one of the stages okay. they all go through. <clears throat> but here's the thing we've all learned early on. We want peace and quiet in our home. We're just so so just we want to nap. We yeah. want to just be have our own time. But never trust a toddler in the other room who's playing quietly. So when they go quiet, when they go stealth mode, not not a good now, thing. No, even if they are a quiet child, like some kids are quiet. It means you might the, trust the quiet it means child. There's some there's there's the cogs going yeah. on in their brains thinking, what could I yeah. do with this and Interesting. this? Once the child goes stealth. <laughs> Then you need to perk you, you up. You don't want ninja warriors as, to, as toddlers. That's good. Not good. That's so great advice. even though we like the peace and quiet, you're like, oh, whew, we got 30 minutes. Or they just must be in there playing quietly and doing good things. And you walk in there, and then there's ketchup all over the floor. Yes. And there's eggs smashed in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you And just... that's just their bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. There are markers all over the wall. Yeah. So they know they're doing something a little bit naughty, and they're just going to be stealth mode. So if you have a toddler in the other room and it's quiet, go check them out. You know, I think the it's a great advice for your coworkers too. Yeah, they, yeah. Like whenever Jeff goes quiet, you know something. I'm going like, on. oh no. boy, yeah. something's happening. Exactly. Over there. Right. Mm-hmm. Next thing, any leftovers in the fridge you want to save if you are raising a teenager. Yeah. Forget about it. Gone. No, no, no leftovers. Oh, I was going to use that for dinner. Oh, oh, well, I was hungry and my friends came over and we all had a little party here at three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, and you were yeah. gone. No dinner tonight. That's yeah. true. It's true, isn't it? You've got teenagers. But you want, you, you usually, it's hard to get rid of leftovers. So if your kid's eating them, that'd be great. <laughs> no, I mean, like if you're going to save it like for dinner yeah. that night yeah, or yeah, something, yeah. you know, for the next night or whatever. That's or you were going to eat the last piece of cake. Forget it. Right. You hide it. See, my wife hides everything. Yeah. Well, that doesn't do us any good. So what uh, we have, what we have to do <laughs> in our family is we get post-it notes. Seriously, yeah, and so do we. And yeah. we write, "Don't, don't eat this." You know. In fact, when I was growing, this is crazy. When I was growing up, we same thing happened in my family, and I put a po- well back in the day there was no post-it notes, but we, my I wrote a note. It was a cake on the counter. I put a piece of paper that says, "Don't uh, save this." Didn't you just put a rock on it? <laughs> I would save this, <laughs> and then my brother ate it, and I'm like, "But I put a note that said save this." He goes, "Oh, I thought you meant save this for me." I thought you were I'm thinking like, of right. Me. Why would I write that? So now we have to say I licked all over that. Oh yeah, last totally. piece of cake. So this has been licked. I've <laughs> totally. I done licked this whole cake. <laughs> I spit on it. So That's yeah, true. Okay. watch out for the leftovers. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Uh, any filtering devices you might think that might be saving you uh, on your t- computer from any bad websites for your kids? Don't trust that. Don't trust that. They can get around that. They can. Yeah. Well, especially when you've already told your kid the passwords to everything, <laughs> or they all know that you only have one password. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Filtering devices. They may make you think that you can sleep well at night and everything's good, and you know. But no. 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 You you have to be the. Filtering you can't device. just filter all the bad out, Mm -hmm. right? You've got to teach your kids to use their brain and to know what to do and how to say no. Right, right. Good. Um, A child who says, everyone else's moms lets them do it. They're lying. (laughs) That's true. But Katie's mom said she could go 
All my friends are going. <laughs> Everyone's there. Nobody gives them curfew. Whatever it is. Oh, yeah. I hear that no, all the time. No trusting. No trusting that. Everyone's dad. Everyone's sleeping over. Everyone. And then you find out the next day, like two people slept over. Right. Right. Liar. Right. So what do you do when you find out that maybe they lied a little bit? You know, they like to exaggerate because you know when anything bad's happening in your life, you end up doing the whole. Everything's so terrible about my life, or nobody loves me. And so sometimes we just do that because we're just feeling miserable and sorry for ourselves. And it's kind of an exaggerated way to hold a pity party for yourself. So I don't give it too much. I mean, I'm saying like if they're doing like everyone's, they do feel like they everyone's leaving them out. Or you're the you're the only child in the whole school who has to come home, you know, at at a certain time every night. And so they do kind of exaggerate just because they feel so bad. But I. You know, I try to break it down and go, you know, first, of course, validating them. Yeah, this is this is kind of cramp in your style. I do understand this is – I or, you know, or you can even say, yeah, it's true. Our family just cares a lot more for you than everybody yeah, else. Yeah, we does. love you so much. We don't want we, you we to – We love you more than – I've done that a million times. Well, I guess I just love you a lot more than all your friends. Well, mom. it doesn't feel like love. <laughs> I know. But but I also for the curfew thing, you know, or other things where I know they're exaggerating just to try to get at me. I'll be like, okay, well, let's go and call some moms and see if they also have some of that, you know, rules or whatever uh, it is you're talking about. And they're like, okay, because they know you called yeah, your bluff. They, you know, right. they call the bluff. Okay. That, yeah, that's All embarrassing. Right. Here's another one. Photos on Facebook or Instagram of everyone else on vacation but me all having the time of their lives. Right. Right. Do not trust that. See, Mom, they're in Powell. They're in Lake Powell. They always go to Lake Powell. Yeah, or just as yourself as a parent where you're like, why is everybody else's family's perfect? And they're all having fun, and everyone loves each other, and they're all always on yeah. vacation. And I'm home folding di- – putting. Oh, no, I shouldn't say folding diapers. They don't do that anymore. No, no, no. Um, I'm throwing diapers in the garbage. In the diaper just, genie. In the diaper genie that stink, and I'm changing poopy diapers or pants, and I'm you know, I'm having to take this crying kid, and, and then you just go on and on about how your life's so miserable and everyone else's looks so great. You know, it's not, don't trust it. Right, right. It's all an illusion. It is. They're all just as miserable as you are. (laughs) They're on vacation. They have quarreled the whole time. It took the one shot of everyone smiling and that's all you saw. They, the entire fight to the beach, somebody (laughs) in the backseat was hitting another kid with a noodle and then it caused World War II. Yeah, yeah. Or right after that picture, all all hell broke out. So, you know, you just have to kind of say, don't compare my worst with their best moment. Um, it, don't trust it. Don't trust everyone else on Instagram and Facebook. It's not real. It's okay? an illusion. Okay. okay. Another one, don't trust, especially when you're doing media with kids, movie ratings. Yeah. I like, just don't trust the movie like industry. Like PG-13. Exactly. Maybe is an R. In our been, old school. In our old school. That yeah. would have been an R. In fact, we've, they've even documented movies in the past that were did have a R rating and now they have a PG. They've they've changed it. Really? Actually, they have. So there's the the way, the standards for rating for movies and it's it's getting more loose and loose. Yeah. As, and I just don't trust that um, for if my kid's watching even a PG sometimes. Th- there could be some content that I don't want to have my eight-year-old watching. Oh, totally. So um, just be careful with movie ratings. Don't trust the just the, you know, or even gaming, um, you know, where they say, you know, mature, whatever for gaming. I just would really be vigilant and watch that thing or go on some some parental controls type websites that, that do ratings that parents have rated mm-hmm. those things to see. Um, if they or watch be... Screen Cleaning with Jeff or listen to Screen Cleaning with Jeff Simpson. Uh-huh. Exactly. Every Friday. Right. Uh, nine Eastern. No, 9 Mountain Time, 11 Eleven Eastern. Jeff does a show called uh, Screen 
cleanings. He always pretends like he doesn't know what the name of the show is. I remember it. <laughs> it's a really good show, and it. But he gets into some of that. Yeah, you that's don't good. trust it, right, Jeff? It, it's you know, don't don't leave just a number or a rating to tell you if this is appropriate for my kid. Oh yeah, there right are so in. many PG thirteen movies that I would not want a 13-year-old watching. Yeah, I walked out of one. I went with my daughter. She was probably 15, and we watched. went to a PG-13 in a, in a um, movie theater, and I, I was appalled. I, the opening scene, I went, oh, my gosh. Wow. Um, it was horrible, and so I le- we left. So it was terrible. Yeah, good idea. Uh, okay, another one. A child who begs and begs to begs and begs to have a new puppy and promises they will take care of it. <laughs> you know they won't. They won't. <laughs> Do not trust that. No, we, that's why we don't have a dog. Because yeah. my, t- my who's, wife. Who's going to take it. care of this dog? I will. Who's going to clean up, clean up after it? I will. Who's Who's going to feed and and you know wash it and give it baths and and I will. No, that no. lasts for about two days. Yeah. Well, then it's just gross. Like, the, I'm not cleaning up the yard. Yeah. That dog's sick. Right, 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 right. Mm. So don't, don't trust, trust it. it. Don't trust A it. A child who you ask them, is your homework done? They say, yeah. <laughs> or I don't have any. We don't have homework, Mom. <laughs> they don't give us homework. So. I know. That's my kids. They yeah. never have homework. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Until we get to parent-teacher conference. Then they didn't turn in homework. Yeah. Then they have a whole semester. Like, the, parent, the teacher's like, well, didn't they do this? And yeah. I didn't know. And then it's because you asked your child, and they're supposed to be like the one that's telling you. Right. Uh-uh. And what's so funny is that we we were then surprised. Like, as parents, we look at them at parent-teacher conference like, you little liar. Exactly. But it's every year it's the same thing. <laughs> exactly. Don't trust it. Don't, and don't be surprised. If you're going to trust them, don't be surprised when you find out it's a lie. Mm-hmm. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that's really good. Uh, you got one more for us? Yeah. Gums or scissors with a toddler. Never trust. Do not yeah. hand. Do not hand gum. For a toddler to chew, it's just you. I mean, I don't even know how how I can explain I how how illogical that is. It just doesn't make sense. But you're doing something. My, in fact, my granddaughter apparently they gave her some gum and she woke up from a nap and it was stuck to her chest. Yeah, or, like no, her, no, normally it's in her hair. Though. Yeah, you have to. And that, then that's when the scissors that, come in because you, you cut it. But I don't hand scissors to toddlers either to cut something up because it's going to be cutting their yeah. own hair. You could, you know what? You or could cutting. use peanut butter to get it out <laughs> yeah. instead of scissors. Right. But then your kid will play with peanut butter the rest oh, of his life. Yeah, scissors and uh, gum. No, no, do not mix with toddlers. But there is that magic parenting moment where your child cut their own hair. And in your head, you're like, ah, oh, what a disaster. But you're also thinking, that's pretty funny. That's what you post on Facebook. That's a Facebook winner exactly. right there. That right thing there. will spread like a virus. Yeah, because everyone can, everyone can mm-hmm. understand that. Nice All right. bangs. Okay. Nice bangs. Julie Nelson is uh, walking us through the things a parent shouldn't trust, a lighter uh, approach to parenting. Really, it's just Parenting 101. Up next, we'll continue the journey, give you more things to watch out for, and, of course, uh, do what we can to help you feel a little closer to your family and to love the ones you brought into this world. That's all here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Joining us in the studio, Julie K. Nelson, the bomb mom, we call her, also the child whisperer. She's a mother of five children, a wife, and on faculty at Utah Valley University teaching parenting and marriage and relationship skills. 
Her website is a spoonful of parenting.com. You won't want to miss it. Today, we're talking about things a parent shouldn't trust. And a lot of them are just little phrases your kids might use, mm-hmm. like, yeah, no, I don't have homework. But you little liar. Or everyone else's mom, their mom and dad are letting them go. Yeah. Yeah. You got you to gotta just always verify. Trust, but verify. <laughs> That's the rule. That's the rule of the day. Or even if everyone else is doing it or if whatever, or they say they don't have homework, open up the thing backpack and look. Yeah. You know, I mean, because you ask their parents, it's it's may not be the case. Well, probably. We, it probably isn't. And let's say everyone else does let them go. What's wrong with sticking to your guns and saying, no, yeah. I, don't, I don't feel comfortable. Yeah, we don't that party. do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. And I had to do that with sleepovers. Oh, it was killer because... We just got some really good advice of bad things that were going on in sleepovers. And so, you know, halfway through my kids' childhood, basically I ruined it yeah, because said we said no, no, no more sleepovers. And they're like, but everyone else. I'm like, I know they are. And that's great. But you know what? For our family, we're just going to do this. Have you ever noticed that – They have to go through therapy now, all oh, my yeah. kids. Yeah, your kids yeah. are totally yeah, messed. Yeah, they're messed up. Yeah. But uh, have you ever noticed when your kids have a sleepover, there's really very little sleep going on? Right. And so what we let them do is have the late night mm-hmm. idea. So we'll pick you up at midnight. You know, nothing happens after midnight anyway. You're supposed to be sleeping, so just right. come in your own bed. And they, I can even take them back in the morning for breakfast. But we just don't have anything happening after, after midnight in their like lives. Yeah. I like it. I like it. So here's another one. I have a 15-year-old just passed um, his – did his driver's ed thing, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. driving school. Do not trust a teenager with a new driver's license. No, totally. No. No. That's scary. In fact, in Utah, there's this law where you can't like drive anybody else for six months or something like yeah. that. You know, do not trust that they're out on the road mm-hmm. doing all. You know, you gotta check. We gotta oh, yeah. check. Watch I and mean, drive with them. Uh huh. Oh and yeah. I just I send my wife out. <laughs> Right now, for that one. yeah. Right now, it's 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 it could almost break a marriage apart yeah, totally. <laughs> because it's so stressful to be in a car with a fifteen year old, sixteen year old who is trying to get their roading hours, and um, yeah. So <laughs> always verify that they're not, uh, you know, overstepping with the the what is it the requirements of being yeah. In you that. have it, to drive like six months or whatever, yeah, and, and not then, be with other people, mm-hmm. and you can't drive at night and all that sort of stuff. It's really so. for yeah, it, and it makes, but they'll sneak someone in their right. car and then then you got to exactly boom. yeah another one um this is back to the little kids the, the t- preschoolers pinky promises pinky promise <laughs> never no. trust a pinky <laughs> promise do, do not do not yeah that's just their way of yeah. manipulating you into something super super they're being super adorable cute but yeah, yeah they want something else right just always okay. like pinky promise man <laughs> Don't trust a <laughs> Don't guy trust. trying to do a pinky Don't, promise. Do not trust a grown man doing a pinky <laughs> promise. Um, a childproof bottle of medicine. You know? No. No. Mm-mm. No, kids are smarter than They'll any think. senior citizen any day. <laughs> They'll figure out how to get through that. It might be senior citizen proof, but it's not <laughs> childproof. Exactly. And on a more serious side about medicine, just, just a little plug in, and especially with Utah, the access to opioid, opioid prescriptions, oh. oxycodone, just in, do not have that accessible to teenagers. Get rid of get it rid, when you're get, done when with you're it. When you're done with it. And make sure that you are the only one using it. Count your meds. Count your, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. Yeah, Count yeah. your pills. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, here's another one. A recipe or a picture of a beautiful dessert that looks easy to make. Have you seen those before? Oh, yeah. It's a lie. Oh, my gosh. It's totally a lie. Look, here's only three steps that you can make this thing. I used to use I used to use doing making a recipe as a sign of ADHD, that if you couldn't get through the recipe, then you, probably, you might have a little ADHD problem. 
But then I've realized that, no, most people can't get through no. a recipe. They have this beautiful cake or this dessert or this apple, you yeah. know, this this delicious apple thing. Turnover. And, and you're like, oh, I can make that. Yeah. Do not no. trust. Do not I, trust that recipe. I like it best when you bring it in. Mm-hmm. I like your recipes because you seem to really know. I need to it. bring you some. Yeah. Oh, my life's it's been, just it's too been crazy. a couple of months. I know. You're just. Oh, I'm just wondering. I need to give some to no, you. I don't, I'm not begging for it. I just think it'd be nice. <gasps> my life's just been too. Oh. Well, that's all right. Hey, hey, hey. Okay. Summer's almost over. Um, here's another one. Do not trust a weight loss program. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. They're the, the, the uh, what's it called? The yo yo dieting, or yeah. they rebound. Your body goes right back into that homeostasis. You yeah. know, you're back to where you were before. Your body wants you with a little pooch. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's called uh, God's airbags. They put is that put, what it he is? Puts them on you. Yeah, mm-hmm. mine are in the weirdest places. <laughs> okay, here's another one. Do not trust instructions to assemble whatever it is, toy, whatever yeah. it is, in four different languages. Do not trust. Do not trust it. Yes, and unless it, you it, are quadrilingual. <laughs> and the fact that not all the parts will be there, and it will take you probably three weeks to put together. Mm-hmm. A nurse who says to your toddler, "This shot won't hurt a bit." Don't trust that. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. This will just take a second. Or this will just fill up his little prick. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it hurts like bad. Do not trust a child who says, sure, I cleaned my room. Or sure, I took no. out the garbage. whatever. No, verify. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Send the Roomba up there. <laughs> um, do not trust a teenager who says they'll be home by midnight. Uh, yeah. Because the car will break down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know it was. Oh, you meant that midnight. <laughs> Yeah, that midnight. That midnight. Um, or do not trust spreads of fashioning, fashion magazine models. They're j- that's not real people. Right. Those are computer images. They used to be human beings, but now they're not. They're just robots. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Stretched the way they need them. <laughs> exactly. Like Stretch Armstrong, yeah. And finally, uh, do not trust pictures of mothers with young children both wearing white. Really? Now, that's a new one. Yeah. Because that would never happen in, in the real, real world. No, not in the real world. Do you have mothers with young children and they're both wearing white? And it works. It just comes out flawless. Because, because for the first few years of your life, you have barf on your shoulder pretty much. No, totally. Yeah. 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 And you try to wear like floral right. shirts so it kind of hides. Yeah. You would never wear white. Is that a leaf on your floral <laughs> shirt or is that baby throw up? No, that's baby throw up. <laughs> that's really good advice, Julie. Yeah. You don't wear white. Never trust... <laughs> A mother and her child in white. No, no. Because they're trying They're going to... to a photo shoot, maybe from the car to the photo lab yeah. uh, studio. In the, there's maybe like a, maybe 10 feet Right. Well, between... they probably changed at the photo studio. Oh, yeah. In, in, in the bathroom. Right. Yeah. But they're not walking around no, doing the It's business. an illusion. Yeah, exactly. Good stuff. It, it, it lasted for about 10 minutes. Julie K. Nelson's her name. The bomb mom is what we call her. Check out her website, a spoonful of parenting.com. She's got all of her latest and greatest there. Thanks, Julie. Hey, thank you. We'll take a break. Be back with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. You're not going to want to miss it. Miss it. That's all up next right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. It's that time when we get to shoot it down to our good buddies, at BYU Sports Nation to find out what's coming up on their show. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. How you doing? Oh, you know. Good. Just your <laughs> typical Tuesday, a little bit rainy outside. Tuesday. <laughs> Locked and loaded for BYU Sports Nation. Ball camp preview coming up tomorrow. Ooh. Ball camp begins Thursday. The report 
tomorrow, but they be, uh, begin Thursday. So we're going to have interviews, you know, Thursday and Friday and Monday. We're, Holy It's cow. on, baby. Fall it's camp's on, already the happening. The reason we are here, football, begins this week. <laughs> yeah, I, we, we are on a mission to make everybody an expert before fall camp begins. Look, we have previewed every position group, and we will minus two. finish that up today. Man. The last two positions so that you know what the heck's going on when fall camp begins. We're going to dominate the water cooler. If you Ooh. watch BYU Sports Nation. Water cooler domination. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. Hey, question for you. Mm. Yeah. Uh, instead of checking the water cooler and getting us good at the water cooler, can you do anything about the elevator at the SAB where apparently six football players were stuck in it? Yeah, I blame Mo Longy for that. Yeah. Do you think? I mean, you mean little old Mo? Okay. So L- little tiny Mo? The guys get stuck in there, okay? Yeah. For about 20 minutes. They then get out, right? Um, Late, you know, some more activity happens or whatever, just naturally in, in the day. Molongi then asks, or then tries to go back in the elevator. Uh-oh, didn't so learn his says, lesson. No, 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 no. You're taking the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Really? He's 410 pounds, 6 uh, foot well, 7. Well, he's probably more than He's that. more like, we don't know what he currently is, but like a month ago, he was 450. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, so. He's one big dude. So we've, when, we've met him. He's very nice. When you're on the ele- yeah, he seems really nice. When you're on the elevator, and then all of a sudden Mo Longi walks on, you'd think that somebody would have said, "You know what? I'm going to just get off." Just- he is the size of three track and field athletes. <laughs> He's roughly eight Shea Collinsworths. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, roughly. But um, I'm assuming other football players were big. Yes. But so no one is, no one is um, six seven four hundred fifty pounds. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is what I need you guys to do. It seems like you need to go find out what they talked about while they, they were talk stuck. About good. Talk well, about Longi Tuifua, a freshman, sent me a video because <laughs> I tweeted out Friday night about this experience. When yeah. I heard about it. I was like, wait, what? And he said Saturday morning, but he said, but the elevator was lit, and it's. The guys pounding on like, the side like and rapping. Like beatboxing and rapping, yeah. yeah. Oh, were they? <laughs> See, that, they made the most of it. Yeah. You'd think that they, you know, there was one that was crying, and then they were trying to figure out, like, if we stay in here for days, we'll have to probably eat one of you. Which one will we eat? <laughs> I Yeah, I, I think after about eight hours, you start that combo. Yeah. Yeah, is that it? I, I, I forgot the yeah. timeline. Or 20 days, whatever. But yeah. <laughs> if, yeah, if you're in the elevator and nobody notices that six BYU football players are missing uh, after 20 days. Everyone knows where Mo Longy is. Yeah, that's cool. Cool story. Yeah. So uh, you guys, what's, what else is on your show? We're going to talk about the linebackers and O-line as mentioned, specifically the linebackers. Who's going to lead the Cougars in tackles, and where does this trio of returning linebackers for BYU fit in BYU history? They were the top three tacklers last year. Fred Warner is a top ten Linebacker in college football, according to NFL.com over the weekend. Butch Pau is the most likable linebacker in a long time at BYU. Francis Bernard was a running back. He had multiple interceptions in big games, a pick six for you know a touchdown. This is a good group, so we're going to talk about the impact they could have on the team and why I think they're the most important position group, period, on the team. Hmm. That's bold. 
Is that enough for you, Matt? No, give or me do you more. Want some more. I, I, I probably can't take more, but give me more. Brady Papinga, former NFL and BYU linebacker standout, on what he expects from the trio of returners, mm. all three leading tacklers for BYU, and his overall expectations for Kalani Sitake in year number two as the head coach. He's always opinionated. Brady Papinga will join us as well. But Boy. it doesn't stop there. Tell Order me now, and you'll also get two <laughs> former Cougars back in the CFL. One a surprise to us this morning. And then Cougars in the minors. What BYU player has pitched 20 consecutive scoreless innings? And what Cougar is now up to AAA? And the Cougar that's hit three home runs in three straight uh, A home run in three wow. straight games. Yeah, wow. There's a lot going on. BYU is in its best place professionally, speaking of baseball, than it has been since the 80s. Unbelievable. Plus, Jimmer, by the way, signed in basketball with China, right? Mm-hmm. Two-year right. deal? 3.6 million reasons. Holy cow. He's on the rise, or I would say the Chinese word for rise, if I He may. already is the lonely master at the top in China, Jimo Dashen. Mm. Jimo Dashen. I mean, it's past me the dang ball. <laughs> can you, can That's you, all he needs to can, know. Can you do that one more time? Yeah. We learned that the day he signed in China the first time. <laughs> so, like, he's only going to need to learn one phrase. Pass me the dang ball. He doesn't need, ball. He doesn't ball. need pass me the salt. He needs pass no. me the dang ball. That's a good show, guys. Holy cow. Locked and loaded. Well, we wish you the best. May you uh, not be lonely in your endeavor. Like Jimmer. And don't get stuck on an elevator. Yeah, watch out. for Anytime Mo Longi gets on an elevator with you, I'd step off. Give him a high five. Give him 20 bucks and walk away. Uh, Great stuff coming up in just about four minutes here on BYU Radio with BYU Sports Nation. You're not going to want to miss it. Before we let you go, though, we got to cover a few stories. A woman finds 35,000 bees living above her New York apartment. And by the way, how they counted those bees, I do not know. A woman who saw honey dripping down her bedroom walls was stunned to discover 3,500 bees living in her ceiling. Sharice Moltzak first noticed the bees in her apartment last year, but thought a little of it, but thought little of it uh, when she saw some strange sticky substance dripping down her walls, realized it was beads of honey. She then called a beekeeper. Astonishing footage shows pest controller Mickey Hegedus. 52, cutting a four-foot hole in Sharice's ceiling to find approximately 35,000 honeybees. He estimates that he also found 60 to 70 pounds of honey. Oh, that's a lot of honey, uh, which he believes had been there for around two years. He then put uh, the, the uh, he used a high-pressure vacuum, I guess, to, to suck these wonderful little gifts of heaven into a box. He had to be very careful. You know, he didn't want everything to just come pot crashing down. So it took. Pro- it was a slow process, about six hours of vacuuming up bees and honey. So you never chose which animal or creature you would face off against? I The I, bear, the cougar, the bees. Or the cobras. The, co- the cobras. I think I'd want to face the bees with a beekeeper and a vacuum and some smoke. You smoke them. That gets him a little dizzy, I guess. Ooh, smoked. Have you ever had smoked bees? Oh, I love smoked bees. Ooh. Mm. On honey bread? <sighs> Yummy. Okay, now you've got me hungry. I know. I think we're all a little bit hungry. So anyway, uh, pretty cool story. And, it, you know, I don't know what you pay the person, but if I would say, hey, let's just trade. I'll give you all the honey. You're a beekeeper. You can go do something with that and instead of in lieu of payment. Anyway, just a little advice. I'm not uh, 
I don't want to steal everybody's money. Uh, also, our hero story, great story. Uh, David Knowles was leading a class on CPR when he suddenly felt weak and dizzy. The retired UK nurse, lay, as he lay on the floor, he realized he had little time to tell his students what to do before he passed out. The group had asked uh, for a demonstration, Knowles said, and they thought they were getting one when they learned this was no drill. The whole group was up on its feet, looking like they were doing uh, very well, looking like they weren't doing very well either, Knowles tells the Inside Edition. As the 77-year-old who took his own pulse during the incident started to get a bit foggy, he instructed student Carol Chu to call an ambulance and take out his false teeth. Knowles knew he was having a heart attack and had to stay awake. But he adds, I really couldn't get stirred up about it. Chu, a former nurse who was taking a class to brush up on her skills, began performing CPR after her teacher stopped breathing. It really got bizarre, the whole thing, Noel said. He came to briefly while the paramedics arrived, but then the next thing I remember was waking up in the hospital two and a half weeks later. Unbelievable. He fell into a coma, later suffered another heart attack per the independent. The incident in the front of his students took place in February. The local ambulance service, which Knowles volunteers, says if he had been stricken before his students had arrived, he likely would have died. So those kids ended up saving his life. He, uh, Knowles was sent home to his wife, Nova, and the doctors say he's making excellent progress. And he's got his entire class to thank, by the way, and himself for staying awake through most of the process. So the hero of the day is David Knowles and then all of the kids in his class as well. And uh, Chu, um, uh, Carol Chu who made it all happen as well. So they're heroes. See, folks, it doesn't take, you know, a ton of knowledge to be a hero. Sometimes you just need to be willing to do the tough thing. That's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. 